did you come from? Is there anyone that can help you? Oh, me. We must find B-127. He's coming on our side. They literally call themselves Decepticons. That doesn't set off any red flags. <laughs> I found me! Stay safe, soldier. I am coming. Well. Bonus episode. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. And we don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Sword of Omens, come to my hand. I, Lion-O, command it. Hi, this is Larry Kenny, the voice of Lion-O on Thundercats, and you're listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Thunder, Thunder, Thundercats, ho! Hey, welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian, I'm a leftover, no Jake this episode. In this bonus episode of Pop Culture Leftovers, we're reviewing the sixth film in the Transformers franchise, Bumblebee, and I am joined by a plethora of guests. I've got Rebecca Daling back second day in a row after Aquaman. Welcome back. Good to be back. I can't wait to talk about this movie with you guys. Awesome. Uh, and then uh, my co-host on uh, Transformers Titans Return when we were doing the uh, the whole Go 90 series, Dan Hepner, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. Maybe. I don't know. I, I should have talked to you about the Godzilla trailer off the air. We'll do that. We'll do uh, that later. How about that? Yep. And uh, I think it's been like four years since we've had this guy on, and I'm Definitely excited to have him back. Ryan Drost from the Star Joe's podcast. Welcome back, dude. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's been way too long since we've gotten together. So I know. I'm glad I was I, I was like when I reached out to you, I was like, ah, there's no way he's gonna be able to record with us on the twenty third. It's like uh, you know, it's not and then you were like, Yeah, I'm free. I'm like, All right. <laughs> well, the nice thing about this time of, of year, like well, I guess maybe it's a nice thing, is uh it's just my wife and myself. And so everyone when they're all doing their family things and everything else it's just us in the house and that's it so yeah I totally had today free so it was like works out perfectly oh fantastic yeah um we're all transformers fans i mean so this is gonna be a, a fun review whether you liked it or loved it so i'm really looking forward to getting your guys thoughts on this uh bumblebee on the run in the year 1987, Bumblebee finds refuge in a junkyard in a small Californian beach town. Charlie, on the cusp of turning 18 and trying to find her place in the world, discovers Bumblebee battle-scarred and broken. When Charlie revives him, she quickly learns this is no ordinary yellow VW bug. This movie is directed by Travis Knight. He's most famously known for his animation with Leica Studios on films like Paranorman, Caroline, and Kubo and the Two Strings. This is his first live-action film. And from what, like the interviews that I've seen him in and read him in, he kind of grew up a fan of the Transformers. He was a Transformers kid. 
So, um, nice. yeah, I think that, uh, I think that definitely helps. Everybody knows my thoughts. If you listen to the episode two weeks ago, you already know what I thought of this movie. But anyway, Travis Knight in an interview with Yahoo Movies UK said that the concept for this film was developed by Steven Spielberg. Quote, the original idea for this film actually was Steven Spielberg's. We can thank him for this film even existing. At the heart of it, Bumblebee is a film about relationships and this beautiful love story between these two characters. So I thought that I did not know that this. I knew he was always an executive producer on the Transformers films. I didn't know that this actual idea, this concept came from him, even though there's been so many different comparisons between this and other Amblin projects such as E.T., um, this is written by Christina Hodson, who is also writing the script for the upcoming Birds of Prey movie. She's also attached to Batgirl, if that ever does indeed happen. This movie stars Haley Steinfeld. She plays Charlie. And I found out that Haley Steinfeld, she was born a decade after the events of this film. So they had to <laughs> teach her. <laughs> oh, I know. I, they, they had to Stop. teach. They had to teach Haley Steinfeld how to be around items from the 1980s. She had no idea how to work a Walkman, and she's using a Walkman in the movie, has no idea how to use one. That Reading that just made me feel old. Yeah, I just looked her up. She was born December 11th of 1996. Oh and it, what you're saying there totally <laughs> reminds me of those videos where it's like the kids react and they actually have one where they have to use a Walkman and they give them the different pieces at different times throughout the video. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. God. Yeah. I, it's just, it's foreign to her. It's crazy. Like, you know, I can sit here and I can talk to you about, uh, you know, eight tracks and Betamax and. Oh, man, these kids have never had to set up a timer on a VCR, Ryan. <laughs> or knew a time before VCRs. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, they've never had to pull out their big old cassette deck and wait for the DJ to play that song you've been waiting for all day and hope that he doesn't talk over the intro. Or, God forbid, have to actually be at your home at a certain time to watch a certain show because if you missed it, you were done. You yes. would have to wait until reruns at a later time. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I can't watch Silver Spoons because ah, yeah. I've, <laughs> I've been there. Wednesday oh, night. When, Silver, Spoons. Silver Spoons was on Wednesday nights and Wednesday nights were hell for me. Uh, let's see here. Jorge Lendenborg Jr. played Memo in this movie. We got John Cena as Agent Burns, Jason Drucker as Otis. That was the little boy. Pamela Adlon played Sally. Uh, I believe she was the lead in a comedy that Louis C.K. produced comedy that was on FX for a while. Steven Schneider played Ron. Dylan O'Brien uh, from the Maze Runner films was the voice of Bumblebee. Peter Cullen of course, reprising his role as Optimus Prime. We had Angela Bassett as Shatter and Justin Theroux as Dropkick. Um, and yes, those were the triple changers in this movie. Bumblebee has a runtime of 114 minutes, and it's the shortest Transformers film to date. And it has an estimated... It's the only Transformers movie to come in under two hours. Wow. Yay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> finally, finally, one of these movies hit that sweet spot. You know what I mean? They, they finally realized, hey, if we actually can edit this a little bit, you might have a more concise story. Right, right. And maybe not pack in so many characters that we, we don't get to know anything about. Oh, that one looks like a ninja or a samurai. That's kind of cool. 
what's their personality? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, it's got an estimated budget of 128 million. I could not nail down the budget. I've heard anywhere from 120 to 135. Uh, a couple different outlets are saying 128. Uh, for comparison, Transformers back in 2007 that was 150 million. Revenge of the Fallen was 200 million. Dark of the Moon was 195. Age of Extinction was 210. And The Last Night was 217. So this is the cheapest Transformers movie. Wow. It's kind of crazy when you consider there's more robot stuff in this movie than probably all other five combined. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes you wonder, like, is it reshoots? Is it, you know, I don't know. Is it... Uh, it's explosion, explosives. Yeah. Yes. It's exactly. all in the pyrotechnics. Yeah. Budget. It's the pyrotechnics. Listen, some, someone's got to pay for all those lens flares. I mean, who do you think is paying for that? <laughs> all right. Well, you know what? We're going to do what we always do with movie reviews. We're going to rate the movie. So I'm going to play our rating system if you're not familiar. The rating system is simple. If the leftovers don't like something, they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. All right, I'm going to start off and just give my rating. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was episode 262. I had seen this when it was in the limited release for the audience on the 8th. And I gave my thoughts about this, kind of mostly non-spoiler, uh, and I gave my rating. Um, I absolutely loved this movie. It was, an, it was a Tupperware for me. I, what was missing from, and, and the first Transformers movie, I, it was probably, before this, it was my favorite, the one that came out in 2007. I, I didn't hate that movie when it came out. It's got its problems, believe me, but I didn't hate it. It, it, it was, I was just kind of amped to see live action Transformers on the screen. It was a dream of mine since I was a kid. But all those movies were lacking something and they were all lacking heart. And this movie had all the heart. And uh, it just proved to me that once you get a new director in here with Travis Knight and you get somebody that loves the franchise that they can do something very special with it. And it gives me a lot of hope for the future. I mean, you know, if we do get a sequel... You know, Travis Knight, we'll talk about it later, but Travis Knight was talking about, you know, possibly a Cybertron movie. And this movie kind of spoon-fed that to us. And I, I don't think that we get that movie without this movie. I think you've got to make this movie in order to get to that movie. We all, as Transformers fans, we want to see that. We want to see a Cybertron movie with all robots. And we want to see that story played out on the screen. You just don't get there without getting this movie first. And that's what this movie did. It, it had all the heart. We had that connection between, you know, Bumblebee and this little girl. And I just thought it was beautiful. I thought the special effects were amazing. Uh, the, the Haley Steinfeld, I, her performance was a Tupperware, in my opinion. Just the way she emoted, the way she acted with something that's not even real. Like, she did a fantastic job working around CGI and, and uh, just just a great job. I thought she was just a great addition to the Transformers franchise. First female-led Transformers movie, by the way. Um, I loved this movie. I'm probably going to gush about it a lot more throughout the review. 
But I want to know what you guys thought. So I'm going to hand it over to Rebecca. What did you think about Bumblebee? Wow. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to add too much to what you've already said, but I, I will also say um, I'm a huge Transformers fan. I grew up watching G1. Um, this year I saw the 1986 movie in the theater. For the very first time in the theater I saw it. I seen it at home a bunch of times, but I saw it in the theater, and I it was like such an emotional, like amazing experience. And, you know, I was I was like I was 10 years old again and it was amazing. And um, when this movie was announced, I didn't know what to think. But the trailers had me so hopeful. And and, um, I I really like Haley Steinfeld. And I love the idea of us just kind of focusing on one Transformer here. Um, And of course, you know, Bumblebee is a, is a, a fan favorite for a lot of people. And so going into this movie, I had very high hopes and, uh, this movie met my high hopes. It exceeded. I, I teared up like five times watching this movie and I just got, I don't know. I got all the feels. I had all the heart, what you said, Brian, all the heart that's been missing from every single Michael Bay Transformers movie was all in this movie. And, I know we'll unpack it so much more. Um, I had really lost faith in the Transformers franchise because I didn't even see the last movie, the one with Anthony Hopkins. I still haven't seen it. I have no desire to see it either. But this movie is an absolute Tupperware. It is 100% everything I've ever wanted in a live action. That's awesome. movie. Oh, God, I loved it. Loved it so much. That's awesome. So two Tupperwares. Yeah, it's one of those things where I, you know, I've been burnt by these Transformers movies, too. I've been burnt by them. But when they announced Travis Knight on this thing, I, I we were literally me and Jake were one of the only podcasts that had any hope for this. Like we didn't say like this is going to be. You know, the, we, we didn't say, oh, it's going to be perfect. It's going to be. But we thought that there, there was a big chance that this could be fantastic. So, um, Dan Hepner, what'd you think? No, no. You know what? I want to get Ryan. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say Dan for last because I don't I don't All know. Right. I got to save you for last, Dan. But I'm going to tell you what. Yeah, we're going to go with Ryan. What'd you think, Ryan? Okay. All right, so uh, much like you guys were mentioning, as far as the uh, Michael Bay movies, I was extremely burned. Uh, consider yourself lucky you did not see the last movie because uh, I couldn't <laughs> even finish it. Oh boy, uh, and it's it, bad. And it is, ex- and that's extreme for me because there's only been maybe two movies in my whole life that I could not finish watching, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that was one of them. Uh, the first, much like you were mentioning, Brian, the first. Transformers movie that came out, um, there were it it was watchable for me, but the designs of the robots bothered me. The the like you both have mentioned, the heart was completely missing. Uh, personalities were non-existent in the robots. They basically were treated as robots. And I grew like you guys mentioned for yourselves. I also grew up a huge Transformers fan. I mean, I am a, in love with every '80s licensed property there is, and always will be. So these were characters to me to see them treated as just robots or just as a way to market toys. Uh, anytime I hear someone mention that it really bothers me because I'm like, yes, I realize that back in the eighties, the cartoons and everything else were to help sell toys, but that doesn't mean that they didn't put good stories behind them and didn't develop great characters. And that's what was missing in all of the Michael Bay movies for me. It was, it was that heart, those character developments, uh, personalities and everything else. 
were completely missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the first Michael Bay movie, I thought the rest of them were complete garbage. There was mo- little moments that I liked, but that was it. It didn't even stick with its own continuity. In, in one movie, they became Transformers this way. In another one, they became Transformers this way. Um, so when this movie came out, yeah, I was definitely one of those people like, yeah, that's not going to be good. And then I saw a little bit more and I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe. (laughs) Um, And I don't know if it was because of the sour taste left in my mouth with all the previous ones, uh, but went into the theater, actually just saw it this morning and absolutely loved it. Uh, It had all the heart. It had everything I was hoping the other Transformers movies were going to have. Um, so for me, this was absolutely a Tupperware. Um, I am eager to watch it again, uh, which I never thought I would say with a Transformers movie. Uh, I think what you said about, uh, Charlie in the movie, she was spot on. She was, she had all the heart, especially for working with something that's not actually there for her to interact with. It reminded me back of the early days of Spike and Bumblebee from the original cartoon, you know, they they became friends. They worked together. Um, yeah, I absolutely loved it. Loved the designs of, of most of the robots. I have some nitpicks here and there, and we'll unpack that as we go sure. along. Um, but overall, love this movie and am so excited about what can come from this. And you mentioned that they are looking to do a Cybertron movie. I agree that they, you could not get there without doing this movie. But watching those Cyber, Cybertron scenes, I was like, I want a whole movie of just this. Yeah. That's so, uh, uh, it, you just like I'm I'm more, even more excited about this movie after just hearing your thoughts on it because it's uh, it was just so good it, because it's it's because we all have that connection of playing with like I was I was a I'm talking like I'm a six seven year old boy and I'm on my floor as a child playing with these toys like yeah. That's we were all that kid. And, you know, I remember my first Transformer toy was Trailbreaker. And it was like once I got that first taste of Trailbreaker, transforming him from vehicle to robot, it was like, Mom, pull out that Christmas wish book. Everything is getting circled on the Transformers pages. <laughs> Absolutely. I wanted that. Well, yeah, my, my first two were Skywarp and Hound, and I got them both the same Christmas, so it was yeah. awesome. I had a good guy and a bad guy. And then from there, the obsession just continued. Uh, I did have an Optimus Prime, which was became one of my favorite characters of not just of Transformers, but of, like, fictional media. Like, Optimus Prime was one of my all-time favorite characters, so... Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm going to go back. We're going to get dance thoughts here in a second. But you're absolutely right when it comes to the Bay movies, not giving them the personality that they had in the cartoons. That's a huge complaint. And I felt like a lot of that was rectified here. As far as like you you mentioned Hound, like Mm -hmm. I remember the first introduction of Hound in the G1 series you know, he's talking about how much he enjoys Earth. And you would, what a cool thing for like, you'd think that he would miss his home of Cybertron, but he's actually like, I kind of like it here. I, I, you know, I I like this. I like, uh, I I like the rocky terrain on my tires and I I just like it here. It's cool. And like when we got Hound in the movie, I believe it was John Goodman that voiced it. And yeah, it was just, it was terrible. So yeah, uh, just getting back to G1 basics here was huge. Dan Hapner, 
What did you think of Bumblebee? I'm dying to know, buddy. I know. I've kept it pretty quiet and haven't really said anything about it because I wanted to wait for the podcast here. Um, You know, background, you know, a lot like you guys grew up, love Transformers. I'm a few years younger than all of you, I believe. So, you know, I kind of caught it. Not in the initial run, but in syndication and then the G2 uh, reissues of things. Grew up, loved it, you know, would go to video stores and get the, you know, like single episode VHS tapes and just watch those to death. Um, and, you know, so been wanting something like this for a long time. When the Bay movies came out, you know, I think we all had the same story. We all just have been beaten down time and time again, five <laughs> times by these movies. And just like, you know, the first one almost is there. But, you know, yeah, it lacks a heart. It lacks uh, humility. It lacks the correct character development for any of them, human or Transformer. And, you know, they just got worse and worse and worse and worse to the point where, yeah, we all just gave up hope. Like they're never going to be good. They're always going to be this level of trash and just give up hope. But yeah, this movie came out and Brian, if you recall, you know, we even covered when the first trailer came out for this movie, Mm -hmm. we covered it uh, on the uh, Titans return podcast. And I was still very skeptical. Mm -hmm. I was still really hesitant because I'm just like, you know, I mean, it's like Stockholm syndrome of just, I don't know. You know, they they say they changed, but did they really? Um, and like you, I saw the movie um, uh, two weeks ago at the advanced screening, and I came out loving it. Ah. I was so happy, and I was so thrilled, and I was like, they did it. They finally did it. Mm. But I also had some concerns, because I, you know, was worried that my my jubilation for it was a result of Again, like battered wife syndrome, but just like it's <laughs> it's not terrible. You know, mm-hmm. it's got yeah. the basic premise of storytelling. It has a beginning, middle and end. You have a character, you know, growth and an issue that Haley Steinfeld has that is in the start of the movie, reaffirmed in the middle and solved at the end. And I'm like, is it just because it's, you know, an actual movie and not what we've had before. Am I overestimating it? So I went and saw it again Friday night when it came out and now it is that good. Uh, so it's a Tupperware. I'm going to fucking cry, Dan. I'm going to fucking <laughs> cry right now. <laughs> I love it. No, it's just, it's so good just to like, cause like, you know, as I, I, I hold transformers near and dear, like this was my childhood, like transformers was my childhood. And like, you know, it, you. This is one of those things where you want everybody to kind of like have that same experience that you did when you watched this movie. Um, I have waited my entire life to see live action G one on the screen, and let's just start unpacking this right now. That's yep. what we got here within the first five minutes of this movie. Oh yeah. And um, I remember just going to the theater, like you know, like what are we going to see? How's this movie going to start? And it just comes out with guns blazing. We're on fucking Cybertron. We've got Autobots battling Decepticons. We've got Decepticons that are taking over Cybertron and we've got Autobots trying to get off the planet for refuge. And we've got Optimus Prime doing the most amazing fighting that I've seen him do since the animated film. Yeah. And well, and here's the thing, Brian, too, is that here is the most amazing thing to me. And the thing I love, I knew I was going to love this movie. The second 
this whole opening scene opened up because for a longtime fan, I'm able to watch this battle taking place and I can tell who every single character is and they don't even have to say their names. Yeah. I saw Ratchet. I saw RC. I'm, I'm able to identify all the characters mm-hmm. without them mentioning who they are. And I could not do that in a Michael Bay movie at all. None. No, because yeah. the, the character designs were just so drastically different. Yeah, most of them looked, you know, in the Bay movies looked nothing like their, you know, original counterpoints. And here they, yeah, they did a really good job and a real detailed work at making sure that the iconic G1 silhouettes are what they are, we're seeing on screen with slight tweaks here and there, obviously, yeah. but it's like, that's Ironhide. I can tell because it's Ironhide. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, we didn't No, no voice credit for Ironhide. So nobody voiced Ironhide. I wanted to hear that gruff voice. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. That ridiculous Southern drawl. So, <laughs> Rebecca, you're freaking out, right? You're freaking out. First five minutes, you're freaking the fuck out, oh. right? I, I'm sitting there in the theater and the movie opens and I'm like, oh, my God, we're on fucking Cybertron. And I had to, like, control myself to not shout that out in the movie theater. Mm. Because, but that's what inside 10 year old Rebecca was like, oh, they're on Cybertron. Like, that's how excited I was. And can I just for just one second here, because growing up being a girl and liking the Transformers and I grew up in the early 80s uh it wasn't popular for girls to like this stuff and you know i got told by a lot of people that transformers were for boys and it, girls don't like this kind of stuff well i did and there were lots of other girls that did and still do so seeing rc like front and center on the screen yeah. oh my god because we didn't there weren't i mean like she was the only girl transformer that i can think of um, I don't think they ever really introduced any other female trans. I guess I guess uh, Transformers asexual reproduce uh, or they build new ones. I don't know. But like it, seeing her on the screen and they kept her pink and white design. Oh, my God. I was so happy. And just seeing like Optimus like like running right into battle and mm. shooting. And he's like being a leader like he is because he's he's the prime. And he's just in there with the guns and, and, you know, Autobots fall back and, you know, do, do the escape pods. Oh, my God. I could have spent hours on Cybertron. I, I could have spent the whole movie on Cybertron yep. and I would have been fine. You know, it was just oh, it was so amazing. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Dan. Yeah. It really just takes you into a whole new headspace, you know, where you're not expecting it. And even though we've seen like, you know, point parts of this in the trailer, you're just like, it's clean. It flows right. Everything looks like how it does. Cybertron looks like Cybertron when you're looking at it from far out at the end of the whole sequence. Mm-hmm. It's not this weird hexagonal grid pattern that makes no goddamn sense. Mm-hmm. Like in the Bay movies. <laughs> yeah. And exactly. you know, everybody looks how they are. Uh, Brian, I wanted to see if you caught this. Did you? Did they kill, or did Braun just go down the same way he does in the '86 movie? Dude, I don't know. That's messed up, though. Braun, <laughs> Braun. I remember like when Braun was first introduced, and I don't know. Maybe Ryan, you can tell me if it was G1 cartoon accurate. Maybe Dan, you might know this too. Yeah. If it was G1 cartoon accurate, but in the comics, the Marvel comics. I believe I read that Braun was second in strength to Optimus for the first wave of Transformers. You are absolutely correct. 
Yeah, I'm, he's supposed to be like, you know, as t- you know, one of the shorter ones, yes. but like one of the toughest all around. That's why I loved Braun growing up. Braun was also my favorite, one of my favorite figures growing up. I, I loved my Braun. And so like to see him go down like that in the in the 86 movie always pissed me off, dude. Always. Yeah, because he just yeah. gets one shot in the shoulder yes. and then it's yeah. just dead. You're like. What? I know. I was like, that's fucking Braun. Are you kidding me? Come on. I've seen him take Megatron's gun to the chest and been fine before, and all of a sudden it grazes him. He's like, and I'm done. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they were I, all I low that. on Energon, right? I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, that's always been what people have kind of explained in their minds. Yeah. Like, oh, well, because yeah. they got pushed off Cybertron, they must be at like half power or something like that. But yeah, the first time I saw it, I was like, hey, it's Braun. Oh, he just got, did he just get shot in the shoulder again? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's Travis Knight just trolling us at that point. Yeah, it's, but like, it's little detail bits like that. And like, that's a fun callback for people who know the 86 movie really well. Yeah. But it's not, you know, it's not like, you know, making a big point about it or putting up, you know, like signs above be like, hey, this is a callback, guys. Just something that if you catch it, hey, that looked really familiar to Mm -hmm. that. But, you know, it's a subtle detail that doesn't like make a big capital T thing about itself. And a lot of this whole sequence has tons of that where like, you know, you have Shockwave there, which I think is the original G1 voice, too, for the one line he has. It sounded really similar um, but you got him and you got, you know, Soundwave, of course, and you've got all, you know, then pretty much everybody else, just random seeker jets. And like, they had the right color schemes from like, I think that's Thundercracker. Yeah. That's Acid Storm. That's, you know, Slipstream, you know, again, you don't have to call their name out, but it's, you know, like in the show where it's like, you know, Jazz, go take Ironhide and go stop, you know, kickback from doing this thing. It's like, all right, Optimus, Ironhide, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I I will say, too, like you were mentioning, just like those nods and everything else, not to jump too far into the story. But one of the things that I absolutely geeked out about was the uh, Bumblebee versus uh, kickback. And they did the exact scene from the intro of Transformers where Skywarp throws Jazz and then Jazz turns into a car and comes flying back at him. Yes. That exact scene where uh, Dropkick does that to Bumblebee, Bumblebee transforms, spins back around and and goes flying towards him and transforms back into his robot form. I was like, oh my God, that's right from the intro of the cartoon. Yeah. I never realized that. Holy shit, you're right. (laughs) Totally. That's awesome. (laughs) I love that. That was just like, and that's just a brilliant way. I mean, why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you transform and then just turn into car mode and then turn around and go right back into battle and charge right back at him? Yeah. So I've seen this movie, by the way, guys, I've seen this movie three times. Um, I saw it the second <laughs> time in 3D. And my God, 3D on Cybertron was amazing. Incredible. I it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got, I mean, I, you know, it, some of the, I had a hard time. I, I, I know we got Starscream, but I, did we get Skywarp and Thundercracker? I'm pretty sure. So we do get we get uh, on Cybertron. We see Optimus Prime fight Thundercracker, which I thought was awesome because that's a nice nod to the movie, the original movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, kind of like kicks him in the stomach and then just yes. like judo flips him over. And we do get a rope. We do get a, a seeker that looked like Skywarp to me. It's very brief, uh, but we do get one that looks like uh, uh, Skywarp. We obviously definitely get Starscream. We see yes. him in there. Um, 
the coloring, the one I was disappointed with is the coloring they did on uh, Blitzwing because he looked like Starscream again. Totally, <laughs> so. totally. And, and when, when that yeah. when that trailer first came out, I believe sometime in early June. Yeah. Media outlets were reporting that that was Starscream and people right. were saying like, oh, Starscream's coming to Earth and all this stuff. And so yeah. and then Ravage did Ravage look like he had like. Uh, white and red on him. Definitely yeah. some white, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he definitely didn't, wasn't just all black and like gunmetal gray like the G1, but yeah. you know what? I don't care. Oh, I don't yeah. care either. I didn't care either. Just to I, hear Ravage eject and have this this panther thing jump out and go after, oh, that was awesome. Oh, oh my, yeah. How, how cool was that when, when he ejects it? And I'm just... Oh, man, that was super cool. I have to say, like, I would have liked a little bit more. It's it, th This is like a nitpick. This is not like a major problem I have with the movie. I mean, I guess because Starscream was such a huge character, a huge part of the G1 series, I would have liked more Starscream. But yeah. I'm hoping in a in a future movie we'll get and and you have to get cast an actor who can really do that voice because the actor who did his voice unfortunately passed away quite a while oh, ago yeah yeah, yeah. and Chris uh, Lotto, you know, yeah, Chris yeah and he did yeah. uh, cobra commander he did a lot of like really iconic 80s voices in in the cartoons that we grew up watching you do have to cast the right actor to get that right inflection, but I, I would have liked more Starscream, and that's like seriously like just a nitpick well, of of this opening scene. I, I honestly think that well, what's the big thing that we didn't get here? We didn't get Megatron, you know. Right. So mm -hmm. I, I not even mentioned. Which not is the one nitpick I had. I was like, could you at least mention him? I'm okay not seeing him in this movie. Yeah, but can we at least mention him in the movie? Right. I know why they didn't though, because you know they're still kind of holding it as like a soft reboot and due to the Bay movie's continuity he's currently still frozen in ice on earth at the times and has been for like I don't think they know, even care about that something like that I don't even think they care about that stuff now I know but I mean you know at the very end you know jumping ahead at the very end they do kind of tie it in a little bit with the Bay movies it doesn't quite fall into correct continuity yeah but this I think is they're kind of hedging their bets going half and half on it. Yeah, so. I think and that, I think that was a nod just be, so this way they didn't completely lose the the Michael Bay fans because yeah. let's face it those movies as much as we may not have enjoyed them those movies made a lot of money. So I think sure. the moment you introduce Megatron into this movie then it becomes it feels like it's like Optimus versus Megatron and that's like a, you know, I think they just kind of wanted to keep that maybe for like a future film. I think that they they should just completely retcon the Bay stuff and just yeah. just totally because like, you know, some of the stuff with Sector 7 feels like it's been retconned. Um, it, a lot of it, it's it's in a way it is. A, it, it's definitely a soft reboot. Did you yeah, guys notice? Do. Oh, go ahead. We do at Sector Seven. We do see um, uh, a young uh, Agent Simmons who was played by John Turturro. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just I want to forget all that. Stuff. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I I would please thank you. And to address your question from earlier, Brian, I brought up a picture of Ravage from the movie, and he does have like red on his forehead, uh, a little bit of red on the sides where his ears would be. Uh, his paws are white. His hind back hind legs are white. And then his like knee joints have are like red as well. Okay, then I mean that's that's accurate then. 
Yeah. It's accurate. Yeah. Now, yeah. Did I don't know if you guys noticed it. I thought I noticed different Autobots on the second time I watched it. Um, the third time I watched it, I was looking very carefully. Um, I thought I had seen Hot Rod. I totally did not. But okay. I did see, I am 90% sure when... There's the scene when Optimus is sending Bumblebee to Earth and he shows him uh, the holographic image of Earth. And it's 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 there behind them running in the distance to an escape pod is Ultra Magnus. Oh, you did see it. I did. see It's it's I'm I'm I am 90 percent sure that was Ultra Magnus. Oh, man. I. I, I want to see this movie. I will see this movie again in the theater, and I will be looking because I I didn't see that because it was I only saw it the one time. But I will look again too and see if I can see Ultra Magnus. Yeah, I feel like when this comes out on home video, all of us are going to be getting it and just like freeze framing. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Five minutes, just like who is that? What is that? Is that somebody? What am I looking at over there? Ooh, what's that? Dude, exactly. it's just eye candy. Cybertron is just eye candy. There's just so much going on, but the action's not hard to follow. And I really enjoyed like the introduction to Bumblebee here in that scene where he comes out and he's in his Cybertronian vehicle and he's got the cannons firing. And then yeah. it all comes, you know, he's he's kicking ass. He's kicking ass and it's awesome. He's in warrior mode. He's got the helmet on. He's got the, the blast shield. And then what he does that I thought was so cool is rips the head off of one of the Decepticons. Then Optimus is going to get shot. And look, I think it was Starscream that was going to shoot him. Bumblebee soccer kicks that head at yes. Starscream <laughs> and then takes him out. It was incredible. Yeah. Well, and uh, you were talking about how, like, all this action's going on, and you got Cybertron, which is a mechanical plan and everything else, and yet we can still follow everything that's happening. Mm. I guarantee you that had they tried to do a scene like this with the Michael Bay movies, nah. I would have completely thrown my hands up and gave up trying to figure out what was going on because oh, I wouldn't yeah. be able to discern between Cybertron and the robots. Dude, like, I, would, at all. I would have had, like, an epileptic seizure. Like, yeah, I was you know. going to say, you wouldn't be able to throw your hands up because your entire body and would lose the motor control and you'd just die <laughs> I'd figure it out. I would turn into Otis after that car chase and just vomit yep. <laughs> I what did you guys think let's uh, let's talk about some of the human characters I, I mean we've all kind of like talked about how much we loved Haley Steinfeld and, and I, I I she was she was so good in this so much what an yeah. upgrade from Shia LaBeouf right yeah Jeez. oh absolutely yeah oh my gosh I, I I love that she was a I love that she was a grease monkey yes. and that she was a, and I liked how they even though obviously it was a foreshadowing that she was going to dive and all that stuff I like that they made her a diver but that all of that was part of her story mm-hmm. it wasn't just thrown in there to make her uh, a Mary Sue it was she dove you know uh, competitively, and that was something she shared with her dad. And building cars was something she shared with her dad. And yeah. it just became part of her character. And I just, I loved so much of how they just built all that into her and made her not the typical 1987 girl. Like she just right. wasn't the typical girl. And that's that's another thing that was so good about this is like all those things that her that she shared with her dad did play integral parts in this, even very subtly. Uh, it, 
the scene where Bumblebee is first kind of like in her garage and he's awakened and uh, she's holding the wrench and and he's he's you know he's got his voice box ripped out he's just scared he's just he's just scared you know he's everybody's tried to attack him on this planet you know and he and and but then she throws her hands up and he looks at her hands and he sees that she's got the grease on there and he knows that she's the one that's been working on him and from that moment like you can actually see what I loved about it is how they like uh, they change his his eyes and his facial expression and you can see that he's just like she's a friend and he, yeah. he the guard goes down and he goes in and just like puts her hands on his face as a thank you and uh, I just thought that that was such a that 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 I welled up inside that was so touching to me I, I absolutely love oh, that me, me too I, th- that was like that was like the second time I started crying yeah, because I started crying on Cybertron. I was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" And then that scene where he, where he touched, he put his face in her hand, and they made Bumblebee so expressive mm. in this movie. There were moments, and I don't know if you if you know this, Brian. Like, did they do a mix of like animatronic stuff? Yeah, they had to have. They, they, they had to have. Um, right, because yeah. there were scenes where I was like, "There's no way that's CGI." It looked right. So real. It looked so fucking real to me. It was the realest Transformer I've ever seen in a live action movie. Well, it's and they had to have used like robotics at some point, I imagine. Well, I think I think they did for certain scenes, like the scene where like Bumblebee is like knocked down uh, at the end of the movie. Um you know, right before she revives him. There's a couple parts where I think that they use like you know, actual animatronics and stuff like that. But I, I, yeah. I think the they took a page out of uh, out of Star Wars too, in a way. When it came to that, they made things look old and worn in. They it, it wasn't all shiny. You know what I mean? Like yeah. in the base yeah. stuff, yeah. right? I mean it. You can. I think that helps with the CG. It, it just it makes it look like because you know things in the real world here aren't as shiny as they were in the bayformers films so right. it just made it look real but like you know just them on the beach that whole beach scene it looked like there was a 15 foot tall robot out there with her yeah yeah, yeah. It, uh, you were saying about um making things look like not so shiny you know even stuff like like the real things like her house that she lived in and her clothes and um uh, her family is struggling financially mm-hmm. you know like only the mom is working the stepdad's like looking for work or whatever this is a family that is struggling they have one income and plus whatever she brings in so they I don't expect their life to be shiny and brand new. I expect their life to look lived in. And so the house that she lived in looked extremely worn in. Uh, The car they drove looked very worn in, like Mm -hmm. much similar to the car that my dad drove in the 80s when we were all little. You know, it's and, and so Bumblebee looking the way he did fits right into that universe. And why wouldn't he look that way? He was fighting on Cybertron. He crashes on Earth. He had this big fight with the army. He's been rusted 
dancing away in this junkyard. Of course, he shouldn't look shiny and new. He should look worn in. And I thought that all of that stuff like was a perfect choice just to make it look more real and more believable. Was it just me or was the family car, the station wagon, was didn't it not look like the metallic P from National Lampoon's Vacation? The family? Oh, yeah. Didn't yeah. it? I yeah, it did. It uh, did. I read an article that said that that was an Easter egg uh, to the National Lampoon movies. I, there you go. I totally thought it, I was like, oh, my gosh, are we going to get Eugene Levy in this movie <laughs> somewhere? But yeah, I. Oh, oh, did you. Speaking of Easter eggs, did you guys catch the Back to the Future 2 Easter egg? No, no. Uh, you remember the scene where. Um, the cop goes to pull them over. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I want to, the tunnel that they went through. Oh, that was the tunnel that Marty was in the, uh, trying to get with, the, with the, the hoverboard and everything yes, else. The, the, the sports yeah. almanac. Oh. That's yeah. yeah and okay. they're in the DeLorean above, uh, cause they're following Biff in his car and right. he goes to the tunnel. But right? it doesn't, it, right. yes. And he goes through the tunnel, but it doesn't stop there. The song that's playing is I can't drive 55. And that was in back to the future Two as the yeah. alternate evil Biff timeline. That yes, was the song I've... that was playing as soon as Marty entered that alternate evil Biff timeline. Oh, wow. I missed that completely. But that's a really cool Easter egg. Yeah. 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 Oh, you want another Easter egg? Yeah. I'm, I'm like the fucking I Easter bunny over I here. I want all the Easter eggs. <laughs> yeah, all the Easter eggs. <laughs> Do you remember the scene where it's uh, Haley Steinfeld? She wakes up in the morning and she's going to go see Bumblebee out in the garage. He's not there. Mom is taking Bumblebee to the vet. The dog ate like a, what was it? Dog swallowed like a rubber glove and she's taking the mm-hmm. dog to the vet. Anyway, uh, Memo comes outside and he's uh, he's Got a holding GoBots a Go-Bots magazine. Go-Bots magazine, exactly. Oh, oh, I, I, that. That. I had I that in my notes that, here. But that's a cool Easter egg. Yeah, because oh, that's neat. There was no. Uh, there's never been until recently that IDW is doing one. There's never been a GoBots comic book, but there was a GoBots magazine that existed. Uh, for I think like maybe only four issues or something like that. So yeah, the second I saw GoBots on the cover and then he like tosses it to the side, I was like, oh my God, they brought the GoBots into this. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they, they are. The Kmart blue light special of Transformers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they totally were. I was, oh man. I, I, I think I may have owned a couple GoBots, but like after that, I was like, these just don't transform as fun. And so I was like, okay, back to Transformers. Yeah, I never had any of the GoBots, but I did have a couple of the Rock Lords. Do you remember those, Brian? Oh, I do. I do yeah, remember I had those. a couple of them. Yep. Uh, let's see here. I, uh, I want to talk about the Blitzwing fight. It was yeah. incredible. Yeah. Incredible. I loved the whole thing. It was so cool. It was like... Bumblebee is definitely outmatched as far as like strength, but as far as like, you know, uh, just smarts and having his wits about him. Like, I love the fact that he just like rips off one of his missiles and jams it into his chest. Yes. Yeah, because even even Arsenal wise, he's outmatched, but he uses he uses Blitzwing's arsenal against him. So, yeah. 
Brilliant. It, it's, I know he's supposed to be Blitzwing, but I, in my head, I'm like, <laughs> nah, it's not Blitzwing. That's, you know, remember how in G1 you get all these weird animation errors where it's like, why is Skywarp talking? Yes. Uh, why is his voice coming out of Thundercracker? Or why are there two star screams on the screen right now? Yeah. I'm just, I, in my head, I'm like, nah, it's just one of those, you know, miscolored other star screams. <laughs> yeah. I will tell you my favorite um, error like that in uh, the G1 cartoon, mm-hmm. it, and I think it's in the very, possibly the very first episode, is that Optimus Prime standing outside the arc with all the Autobots standing there, and he's talking about how we have to go find Bumblebee, and Bumblebee is one of the Autobots that's standing in the line with all the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, there's that's definitely been plenty of those. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's, oh, there's so, yeah, it's true that, I actually think I remember that one Ryan like uh, but there's so many of them where like they just sort of like populated the background scenes with a character that shouldn't have been there or a duplicate or whatever just for that that cheap animation stuff but uh, I don't know it just makes the series more lovable right those little cute little errors and stuff yeah, it's, you're just looking and go, ah, the 80s, back yeah. where everything was perfect in terms of animation quality and whatnot. Because they were just, you know, chugging these things out because it was, you know, during like season two, there was like 50 something episodes of it. And it was like Monday through Friday, prime time, you know, like yeah. in the afternoon releases, new episodes daily, five days a week. So it's like they got to crank these things out somehow. And even the 86 movie has a couple of um where like, after Ironhide's already been dead, he's apparently have like that wide shot of the Decepticons all kind of attacking Autobot City. So for some reason, Ironhide comes flying out of it. Shockwave's there, even <laughs> though he's still on Cybertron as well. Then later on, you're like, why is Shrapnel there? He got tossed out with everybody else after the fight and got reformatted. So, but all right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to use that theory for this one, too, then, is that that, that wasn't actually Blitzwing. It was just an animation error. Exactly. Oh, that yeah, <laughs> that's just keeping up with, like, G1 continuity. That's amazing. Right. I love right. it. What did you guys – what did you guys – it kind of broke my heart, but, like, Cliff Jumper got cut in half. Oh, my God. Oh, I hated that. Oh, gosh. That was so messed up. He sliced him right in half. And they yeah. even got his so right with the horns and everything. Yeah. Like it looks yeah. so spot on for Cliff Jumper. And I was like, oh. Like Did you guys? Cliff Jumper's been a punching bag. Right. For like the, prime- the last like eight years. Because <laughs> at the like the first episode of Transformers Prime. Prime, they kill him within the first five yep. minutes. Like he's died in the last couple yeah. years twice in the comics somehow. You know, he's he's just apparently in the last like this decade has turned into a character of like Everybody knows him and loves him, so we're going to kill him to raise the stakes. Every single time. <laughs> Poor Cliff. He needs a better, uh, he needs a better agent. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that killed me. That killed me when we lost Cliff Jumper. What did you guys think about the triple changers here? We had uh, Shatter and Dropkick, uh, voiced by Angela Bassett and Justin Thoreau. Um, I, and I said this on Twitter, I, I felt like when they first got introduced – it felt like it was a nod, kind of like a, a wink to like how General Zod was introduced in Superman 2, like them coming down with like the rednecks and and that whole thing going on. I, I you know, even <laughs> even down to like she says, like, take me to your leader. And it was like, you know, yeah. you know, the, the only thing that was missing was like uh, 
planet Houston, you know? So, but I, or a third really big bumbling idiot one that doesn't talk. Yeah, exactly. Right. I, I enjoyed these characters and I thought Angela Bassett and Justin Thoreau did pretty good in this movie. Did they, did the, hold, I want to get your thoughts, but did they create the internet? Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Right. Yeah. That's how yeah. We got the internet by the way. Transformers. Yeah. Makes right. sense why it's a terrible place because it was a Decepticon <laughs> creation. <laughs> oh my god! It makes all the sense. It makes so much sense now. <laughs> makes sense why your like a uh, search engine history is always being uh, you know used for nefarious purposes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I will say too, like I love the fact that they made them triple changers. I thought that was fantastic, and how they showed them picking up the different vehicles and everything. The robot versions reminded me a little too much of the Bay former versions of of the Transformers, but that was okay because they're Decepticons, so I'm supposed to hate them. Mm. So I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my my one nit, minor nitpick was I didn't. I would have liked if they weren't both brand new characters. I wish one of them would have been an established character that we knew and the other one was a brand new character. Um, because I, I looked them up, I was like, are these Transformers I've not I don't not familiar with and know that it looks like they're both brand new characters for this movie. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I would have liked if one of them had been a, a established character that we've known for years. But that's a minor nitpick. Yeah. I'm perfectly fine with them both being brand new characters. It's just if I was doing it, I would have made one of them at least uh, uh, an established character. I wonder. Does, go ahead, Brian. I wonder if the reason that they made that choice, and I'm just speculating here, is like, you know, one of the things that you talked about earlier that was very important to you and important to all of us is like the characterizations of the, the characterizations of these characters from like their G1 counterpart parts in the cartoons and translating it into these films. If if they would have done that with one of these characters and then had to because like these characters, you know, they, they 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 were serving this purpose for this story. But then if you bring in like a G1 character as one of these characters, then now you've also got to fit that personality into like what they're doing. True. And, and they may have just been like, we, we just want to do this story and we can do anything with these two villains that we want to. And then any other villain like, you know, Blitzwing, anything going on in Cybertron, we can just, that's fine. But like with, with these two villains, we just want to do whatever we want to do with them and not be like... You know, we'll, we'll do we'll we'll do the other stuff later. We'll, trust me, if you get Megatron down the road, he's going to be perfect. He's going to be the Megatron you've always wanted to. <laughs> he's not going to be like the Megatron that's wearing like uh, like a cloak or whatever the fuck. And you know what I mean? That was terrible. <laughs> Wait, no, I, I have a question. I mean, I know it's like not it's not part of the movie, but like if let's say we do get Megatron in the future, let's say that they are going to reintroduce Megatron. Do we get the one where he transforms into a gun or do they for lack of a better term PC it up and not have him transform into a gun and make him into like a jet or something make him a gun I, I, him I, a, go ahead I was gonna say if you're saying make him a gun I'm 100% behind that because I want to see them make him I want him to transform into that gun that then one of the other um, Decepticons would sometimes then wield and use. And I thought, like, that would have been cool to see, like, in the Bayformers movie. And I get why they didn't do it. They didn't want to be a gun and he's something else. But I think going back to that would be a smart thing to do. Yeah, fuck, you know, fuck them. Ba Michael Bay was holding the gun to all our heads, <laughs> making us watch those goddamn movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, really would, I would like him... 
Yeah, I would like him as the gun, but if they're not going to go that route, what I would do is I would almost do a combination of his G1 and G2 version, so I'd make him a tank, mm. but I would keep him with the G1 oh. coloring of the gray and everything else. Oh, so okay. yeah, yeah, it's one of those, I'd, I'd love to see him as the Walther P38 gun again, but they he hasn't been a gun pretty much since G1. I mean, in yeah. every iteration the last 15 or plus years, it's usually a tank, or some sort of Cybertronian-looking, you know, uh, flying vehicle, or some weird combination. Like one time he was like a, a V twenty two Osprey and animated for whatever fucking reason. Uh, yeah. But like, I don't, I don't think we're ever gonna see him as a gun again. Which I'm okay with as long as in robot mode he looks like G one Megatron. As long I, as he looks like him, I don't give a shit what he turns into. I do. I want to see Starscream holding Megatron. I gotta see it. Yeah, it would yeah. be cool. Talking about. Awesome. <laughs> I, I, it would be cool. It's if you're gonna, hey, Travis Knight, if you're gonna write a love letter like you did to G1 fans making this movie and showing us everything that you did, go all out. Give us that gun moment. I guarantee you, it'll be a fist pumping moment if we see that in the movie. If we see, and we we start off with Megatron in, of course, robot mode, and we don't know what he's gonna transform into because we haven't seen the trailers for this movie. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's a fucking gun. I'm telling you, I'm losing my shit. Yeah, yeah I think everybody will be. But getting uh, to voice my opinions on a shatter and dropkick, I think you're absolutely right, Brian, with the whole, you know, we want, we have a story that we want and we can't really fit any of the classic, you know, known characters into there. So it's easier just for the terms of the storytelling to do that, you know, to have it be two new characters. Yeah. That being said, they could have... I can't remember which one is which. Which one is Shatter and which one is Dropkick? I don't know. Uh, Shatter is uh, was Angela, whatever her okay. name is. So, yeah. so Dropkick, like you could have had Blitzwing kind of in that Dropkick role because he, cause it would make sense with him. You have Triple Changers in here, but you, then you have him beforehand and get rid of him. But that was actually just a fake Starscream. Um, but you could have... <laughs> Because Blitzwing in the show, does anybody else remember the episode where he abducts a football coach thinking he's like a wartime general and asking him for strategy? Yes. I remember yeah, so that. Yeah. Blitzwing was never particularly smart. So, <laughs> you know, you could have had him kind of following uh, Shatter's lead on that. Because I did like Dropkick when they first get to Earth and uh, or when, like, uh, John Cena and all them, you know, intercept them in the desert. And she starts talking like, you know, oh, my friends. And he's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Yeah, I did like that. It's, she's like, come on. He's like, ah, oh, fuck. The, um, the the human characters in this that there was like hints of like bay humor but on the flip side like even like her parents were not as 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 I can't say that word exaggerated yeah. um as like the parents in the Bayformers movie. And you know, like I was thinking like the worst of them was like Ron. I was like, Oh, I can't stand Ron up until the end. Yes. Yes. And then yeah, they yes. make him worth something. At least he redeemed himself at the end. Yes. And, and that's yeah. the thing with Ron and, and, and with that character is like, and at the end it totally made sense to me because I was like, that is, that's even though like there's the humor there and stuff like that, but that is a real thing like the the stepdad that yeah. is not comfortable with the angsty teenager 
and yeah. tries he to gives her the book. Oh my yes. god! Yes, yeah. <laughs> oh man, that that book was hilarious. Like the smile book. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you though, Brian. Because in the beginning, I'm like, oh, they're a little kind of. They're supposed to be there for comedic re- relief, and I was yeah worried that it was going to be you know Shia LaBeouf's parents all over again. But they, you know, you end up understanding where they're coming from exactly. Ron being the step parent who's you know come into this uh, family unit and is trying to you know find his place in there and trying to you know get in good graces, especially with the older teenage kid. Because you know I got. A pair, you know, uh, step parents on both sides, and now too, and like my dad when he was getting remarried, my stepmom, she, you know, had a very, we had a really weird adjustment period of like her trying to figure out where I, you know, how me and her are gonna work here, and but we figured it out. But yeah, it was definitely an awkward time, and you know, thankfully though, as much humor as they bring to the movie. They're not because I always said that the Shia LaBeouf's parents in the Bayformers movies were both trying to out Eugene Levy each other. Yeah. In oh, American yeah. Pie. And thankfully <laughs> it did not go there. Yeah, it did not go there. And, you know, the mom, she's just, you know, she's worried and concerned and uh, kind of getting at her wit's end with her daughter's, you know, moodiness. And, you know, so you get where both the parents are coming from by the end. So I did appreciate that because everybody felt like a person as opposed to a prop. Yeah. I, I yeah. Another thing that I wanted to bring up here real quick uh, before I forget is just the fact that this movie was set in the 80s, which I loved. We kind of talked about Love it earlier. That. But mm-hmm. it's set in the 80s, and we got some great 80s kind of like, you know, yeah, of course we had like, um, we had our, you know, bully, eight, classic 80s bully, you know, straight out of like Karate Kid. You know, you had like the, the, the mean girls, the mean girls, the valley girls. Yeah. yeah. But we also had like a little bit of like, uh, you know, where she worked. We had like that 80s feel of that movie yeah. Adventureland where she's working. Yep. At, like, yes. And exactly I exactly what I thought, too. And I loved that. I, I, I every working at the corn dog station, just like the simple like, yeah, could you could you go? What was she wanted her to get sticks over sticks. at the yes. <laughs> popsicle stand? Popsicle out of sticks. Yeah. <laughs> Love the, I mean, I love the music that they chose for it because they put the, all the eight, all these awesome 80s, yeah. t- stereotypical mm-hmm. 80s songs in there. You got the Breakfast Club making an appearance in the movie, which Hot is Rod. just awesome. Hot Rod, uh, yeah. Jed Nelson. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely right. I, I thought, uh, Ryan, you talking about the music. Um, you know, I just I loved the soundtrack in this movie. And I'm sure I could speak for all of you guys that when you heard the touch come on oh my god did you guys like you have to change your pants because yes. i would imagine you had to change your pants like yeah, it almost. was just so okay that's fine because i i could appreciate that like it's it's just when that came on and i know brian you kind of gave a in your earlier review you did mention we got to hear a little bit so i was like i was like waiting for it and then it comes on and it's of course it's amazing but like all of the other songs they work very quintessentially 80s music um I, it just fit like the song choices just fit really well into this movie yeah. um along with just all of the instrumental choices like just like the music that was like going like you know during driving scenes or when fighting scenes whatever i i thought the soundtrack and the music was just great yeah. for this movie it's absolutely so well done and what I got a feel for with, as far as them, the music that they chose, the songs that they chose from the 80s and everything else to put in there, I, it 
felt very much like how it was for Guardians of the Galaxy, where it's like the music was part of the story. And that's how this was, too. The music became part of the story. It wasn't just, oh, let's play Can't Drive 55. Mm -hmm. It was there was a reason that they were playing Can't Drive 55. So, oh, God, well chosen songs. This wasn't just like, you know, 80s greatest hits and let's just throw it in there. You're absolutely right. They they picked and they chose songs that for a for a reason and it just made the movie that much more special. The 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 way that they used the touch was great, you know. The oh yeah. I loved it when they talked about revenge and then they started playing James Brown. I just yes. like, you know, yeah. And, yeah. and and I my theater lost their shit when they went to go TP and egg that girl's house. Oh yeah. Oh, Bumblebee doesn't get human customs quite yet. Yeah. <laughs> that car, that poor car. <laughs> I thought that scene was so, you know, fish out of water comedy is something that I always appreciate in in movie and, and entertainment. And, you know, you you definitely get that, of course, as, as Bumblebee's trying mm. to figure things out. And he's trying so hard to, like, fit in with, with his new friend, Charlie. And so when she shows him, like, you just throw this one role why not throw the whole thing? Like, let's just do that. And what a, it's, it's like such like a, almost like a logical robotic decision. Well, if throwing one is good, then throwing 12 should be amazing. And then that's what he does. The scene with the eggs reminded me of like what a puppy would do for your acceptance. Like, Oh, I I put all the eggs on there and I'm rubbing it. Oh, you guys like that. Okay. Watch when I bash the hell out of the car. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The toilet paper thing is like, well, they're robots. That's just an efficiency thing, right? It's like you throw them all at once. They'll all get there. Then you don't have to keep throwing them. Um, You know, Brian, you said uh, it was something like like a puppy would do. And I felt like there were definitely moments where Bumblebee was like a puppy. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just one of them. But like, uh, Brian, you mentioned earlier the scene where she had the wrench in her hand and Mm -hmm. he's he's afraid. And, you know, he we we see in the beginning how he loses his memory his his memory core gets yeah. like fried he doesn't really remember per se what happened to him but he just has impressions of things that are just scary to him and he's he's so eager to please her and so like even when like the scene in the garage where he's he's uh he's the, the, the robot and then memo comes in and he's like Oh crap! I have to transform, and he transforms into a car because they practice that on the beach. Like that's well, what has, a puppy would do, like yes. trying to please you, even though it's like a second too late. He still did it. Or when he hides behind the little rock. Yeah. Oh, oh, that my was God. So cool. He Absolutely. stuck his head in the sand. I mean, there was so many cute little. It was like having a puppy. It was yeah. so adorable. You can yeah. make Transformers funny and not have them pee on something, right? Oh, yes. Jesus. Yes. Thank God. Which, yeah. which like honestly, that. that was my one small, one of my small nitpicks too was, because uh, I felt like it went back to that stupid humor, was I would have been fine when they were all in the car if Otis had not thrown up. If, if he had just been like, that was radical and just ended the scene there. No. The fact that he threw up then was like, okay, this that's like Bay humor. right? Yeah, there. it's a little bit of basiness. But, I mean, it's also, yeah, you'd probably be, you know, nauseous afterwards. Sure. So I'd still <laughs> yeah. go with it, especially because it's only the one note. I'm like, all right, you get one. It totally, right. it, it totally worked. Yeah. Go ahead. It totally worked for me. Like when that, because yeah. like that's like what's. I, you know, look at YouTube. Like the the fucking puking videos are hot. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> fucked up, but it's true. 
And I was just like, yeah, the kid puked. My theater lost their shit. I kind of lost <laughs> yeah. my shit. And it also kind of fits the the Otis's uh, character because he's you know we see him at the beginning and he's you know in his karate gi yeah. and he's you know trying to be all you know tough and cool and badass you know because he's taking that and everything. But throughout the rest of the movie, you kind of realize like he is, the kid's kind of a spaz, you know. Yeah. So oh, yeah. it kind of he, goes with the fact that like you know he's all talk and no bite, you know. Some of the so. conversations that he was having throughout this movie, like they're real quick, but they're hilarious. Like there was the one where he's like in the car with the mom, and <laughs> and he's just like throwing like punches at her, and he's like, "Now you're paralyzed," <laughs> or something. <laughs> Exactly. busted out laughing so much. He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you're paralyzed. And then oh, the, my God. And then the, the, the morning, like him and Ron were at the table for breakfast. And Ron's like, so when are they going to teach you how to use nunchucks? And he's like, ah, hopefully soon. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Absolutely. Kids been watching some Ninja Turtles. That's why I probably got in, uh, in crying oh. in the first place. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> but going back, to the, going back to the puppy thing real quick. Because earlier when we, you guys were talking about, um, you know, uh, Bumblebee when he first transforms in front of uh, Haley and everything, um, you know, when he put when, you know, after she puts down the wrench, because the way I took it the second time is that he sees the wrench in her hand and it just reminds him of the thing that Blitzwing jabbed into his throat to rip his uh, voice box oh, out yeah. in the first oh, place. So he's having because he like starts grabbing at his neck when he's staring at her and like scared of it. So I think that was that, which is a nice kind of continuity and callback there within itself. Um, but when he, you know, she puts it down, she puts her hands up, and he, you know, puts his face up to her hand. I thought that that was very much like a, you know, like a dog who's, you Absolutely. know, maybe, yeah, like a stray dog who's not in the wild for a while, and you, you know, want to, like, you know, take him home and rescue him and everything. And, you know, you kind of have to sit there and let it let the dog come to you, mm-hmm. let it feel comfortable around you to be able to make contact and just put your hands up and let them wait uh, for that. So it was very much in that vein. Yeah. Um, as far as a, another human character that I wish we could have seen more of um, it was the Danny character at the beginning with the paintball stuff. I thought that he would then be like this character that was always around with Cena's character. Um, it was uh, Edwin Hodge was the actor. Uh, he was the one that got strung up and yeah. kept getting shot. And so I thought, okay, this is a cool character. I thought we'd see more of him, and we really didn't. And I really wish we would have seen like those being those two guys being paired up, maybe through the whole movie or I something. I think so. they were worried about how it was like Josh DeHamel and Tyrese, like in the first ones gotcha right? maybe and they wanted to stay away from anything that kind of like even resembled like things that were going on in those films yeah. it's a safe call i mean i assumed he also died in the whole blitzwing bumblebee fight yeah it could be yeah that's true the he just seemed, it seemed like he had some good like it seemed like there was some good chemistry there and some and he seemed like he had some good personality as a character so that's yeah. why i kind of wish we would have yeah. seen a little bit more of him i yeah, did no. I also i also thought that he was going to I thought I thought we were going to see his story throughout the movie. Now, like I thought, yeah. I, I, th- I thought the same thing. And then, so then afterwards, like when we don't get any more of him, I was like, oh, we don't get any more of that guy. Like, but we got like a little backstory about him. But now, yeah, right. okay, oh well, forget that guy. Like it, again, like that's like a nitpick. Like yeah, yeah, a tiny little thing that we're like, well, I wish we could have gotten a little more of that guy. But yeah, that's um, all it was was a wish. It wasn't yeah, even like oh, it yeah, took yeah. anything away from me. At I all, think but. though, I think the reason that I did that is because the fact that you know John Cena's character in that moment at the very beginning is, you know, a real 
fun, you know, loving guy, and they have a nice, you know, uh, friendship rapport and everything. But you know, for the rest of the movie, he's uh, John Cena is going to be the human antagonist. I think that if you had somebody around to, you know, for the rest of the movie that had a good, like, you know, they had a good, like, friendship with him, it would be a little jarring to see, like, him, you know, laughing and scratching around with uh, this guy, but then being so stern and, you know, angry at the rest of the movie. But you also get why, and I think, like, I assume that, you know, this guy died in the Blitzwing Bumblebee fight, and I think that that's good motivation as to why... John Cena as a, yeah, why John Cena is such a, you know, angry at Transformers and, you know, it's like, I don't trust any of them because you get, again, human antagonists that you understand why. I think that, I think honestly they gave him the scar on the face just as a reminder, as like a visual reminder to us. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Two things here real quick before I forget. Number one, didn't know Bumblebee could turn into a Segway. (laughs) (laughs) i'm talking about the scene in the house after he destroys it number two i didn't know when decepticon shot humans we turn into hair gel (laughs) yeah that was so weird i had a note humans go splat really gross but like it was clear liquid but why water what oh that's what he just I, think, I don't know. Like it was yeah. just like what happened to all the organs and the blood and the nothing were just reduced to water. I, I don't know. It was weird, but it was like it was like hair gel. How much? Absolutely. Like how it. much temptation for them was it not to have somebody's face get splattered with that shit? Yeah. Mm. How many times yeah. have we seen that in these movies where somebody either gets splattered with like alien goo on their face or or brain be- matter? Yeah. 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 But they didn't go to the, that well too often anyway here. Like what did we see? Like Twice. two people get splattered. Yeah. Yeah. So like they didn't go to that well too much, which was which was fine. Yeah. And I think what was good about it, too, was this was unlike. Again, unlike the Bay movies, this was one that I could see taking a, a kid to go see. And so avoiding the blood and guts of killing people, but still killing people. Right. Like a kid could watch this and just be like, oh, they splattered into water. Like they it wouldn't be mm. as violent or graphic or anything like yeah. that as it could have yeah. been. There Good were point. actually a, a lot of kids in my audience when yeah. I went to go see this. Like There were like I would say there were. There were like a fair number of teenagers, which which I expected, but there were also kids under ten in yeah. the theater with their parents watching this. Yeah, yeah, both the showings I went to, there was a good contingent of children that were under ten as well. Yeah, but yeah, I it is at least this does answer the question that I don't think has ever been fully addressed in any medium of what happens when you introduce Energon into a human being. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. that is what happens, and yeah, that's. Don't want that. But it also gives, like, a good... It shows from, like, a a singular person perspective, like, how dangerous these guys potentially actually are to humanity as a species. You know, Mm -hmm. you feel... The Bay movies, you know, a couple times you get these scenes of wanton destruction and chaos, but, like, you don't really get a good sense of, like, how dangerous these, you know, Transformers potentially are really are mm-hmm. just on like a basic level yeah yeah i um what did you guys think about the final action set piece i i thought it was 
it's not the best action piece set piece I've ever seen, but I, I thought it was good. I mean, I, we've seen this happen in so many different movies where they're trying to send out a transmission, but usually. I don't know. It's it's gone both ways where it's either the bad guy or the good guy. We had the villains here trying to send out a signal, uh, their coordinates that they're on Earth and get an army of Decepticons to come to Earth. I, I you know, I, I was fine with that. It, really, it was just like uh, the battle between um, Bumblebee and uh, who's that? It, was it uh, Dropkick? Dropkick? Yeah. With the chains. I loved that. Yeah. Yeah, the first time I saw that, like when he takes out Dropkick with that, mm-hmm. the first time I was like, well, he kind of went out a little easy. But then the second time seeing it, I was like, right, because the chains are kind of like stuck inside of him. He's not just wrapped around. It, they're like stuck inside his joint well, pro- and everything. Pro- so a lot of them have yeah. gotten underneath the armor. The helicopter blades. From, yeah. The blades were just, moving and wrapping it basically around him. Yeah, and then as he's transforming, he can't fully do it because they're, like, in his joints and, like, in his shoulder joint, in his elbow joint, underneath the armor so that that stuff's going to be more vulnerable. So the second time I was like, oh, no, that makes much more sense to me now. Yeah. Oh, it was so cool. Yeah, the the only – I think the one – and, again, it was a super minor thing, but the one thing I was like – yeah, that helicopter would have been shot down a lot earlier than it actually was by uh, uh, by Shatter when she was first shooting at it and Cena's there in his in the helicopter. I'm like, yeah, you're gonna be taken down like really quick, but it it still went down pretty quick, but not as quick as I think it actually probably would have happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I, I actually really liked it. I liked the fact again that you're bringing uh, Charlie's character's abilities into it uh, mm-hmm. because you bring her mechanical side into it. And then you also have her overcoming her fear of diving. Mm. Yeah. 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 I I actually really liked how, (coughs) excuse me. Sorry. I really, I really liked how this final action piece kind of, and, and it's what you expect from a final action piece to kind of wrap everything up and, and everything, you know, things to come full circle, you know? So yeah, is it a little bit expected and tropey that she has to dive, you know, to get him? Of course it is, but you're so in, you're so invested at that point and you're so along for the journey that right. you're just like, yeah, girl, do it. High dive and say Bumblebee. Like you're just so into it. And then, <laughs> you know, like for the fact that she has to like, she's using her talents to do her part to stop this thing. She's not just stuck in that in that dumpster where he puts her like for safekeeping and then right. how uh, B- Bumblebee like releases like this dam and and use to you know use this ship to crush um uh shatter i think is who he yeah yeah, shatter um i don't know like at that point i was so i was so into the story that i I don't know they could have done almost anything and i probably would have been okay with it but uh it was i i thought it was a really great way to sort of bring everything around full circle and to kind of show charlie and bumblebee continue to work as a team um and, and not have her be like the damsel in distress, which, yeah. you know, we, we, we never saw that in this movie. And I'm, I'm glad we never saw that in this movie. And so she continued to sort of be the hero in her own story, uh, working alongside Bumblebee. And I, I, I liked it. I thought it was really good. And, and he kind of like he used his he used his smarts to outwit these obviously stronger and bigger Decepticons. I yeah. wanted, he couldn't win against sheer force. I just wanted to see Charlie and Bumblebee swimming up back up to the surface 
And before they hit the surface, they're in that uh, the shape of water pose from the poster. <laughs> <laughs> I, that would have just completed this whole film for me. Oh my gosh. I did. Well, I did want to. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's okay. I was going to say just a couple things. One is uh, I do like the fact that they made her a strong character without making everyone yeah. else dumb around her. That was one of my big issues with the uh, female Ghostbusters movie was I had no problem with it being female Ghostbusters. I thought it was awesome, but you didn't have to make all the male characters idiots to make the female characters strong. In fact, the exact opposite happens when you make all the characters around a female mm-hmm. character strong and she's even stronger. It comes out even better. Um, And then to your point about the you knew these things were going to happen, but it didn't matter. I've I've always felt that way. Anytime I go see a movie, because it it is the journey and not the destination. We know that like anyone that says, oh, I saw that she's going to overcome her fear of diving at some point. That's what's going to save the day. And stuff. yeah, of course you did, because that's what they're setting up for you. You also know that the Autobots are going to win. You know that Batman's going to win. You know that Spider-Man's going to win. Every time you go see these movies, you know what the ending is going to be. That usually the hero wins and the bad guys lose. But it's the journey of how they got you there. And I totally agree with you that. I was fully invested in these characters at that point and fully ready. Like, okay, yeah, she's going to overcome her fear and she's going to have to dive at some point, but I'm ready for that now. And and they totally did a great job of, of, uh, wrapping that part of her life up. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. You know how this stuff is going to end because we've all seen anything ever. So (laughs) you know what's going to happen. If you've so, ever seen a movie, you probably know what's going to happen. A now. movie, TV. <laughs> have you ever read a book? You'll figure it out. You know, but yeah, absolutely. The journey is what's there. And mm-hmm. also, like, it's sometimes that's not even necessarily true. Previous Bayformer movies, things just happen or characters suddenly, like, decide there's something that they haven't been the entire time. Again, this movie yeah. had, you know, your characters had, you know, a character flaw they worked to overcome and it was affirmed or reaffirmed and then overcome by the end of the movie. And, you know, again, we're just watching these previous movies are so beaten down by just like, I guess this is just going to happen now because we need to get to the end somehow. Well, (laughs) watching a Bayformers movie is like reading a book backwards while you're on LSD and drowning. You know what I and mean? It's third page has been torn out. <laughs> yeah, it's just. Uh, uh, hey, that, that the scene in the in the one scene that I thought was really cute that I liked was uh, um, when they were out in the woods, and she told him to lay down. Mm-hmm. You got mm-hmm. Bumblebee like he's a patient laying down on the yeah. on, on on the ground, and you got to really. Did you see Bumblebee's calves? He does not skip leg day. I am telling you. (laughs) But another thing, I want to see somebody take that scene where she's like messing around with the components in his chest and the holographic image of Optimus Prime pops up. I want to see somebody take that and have it be Princess Leia talking about how (laughs) Obi-Wan is their only hope. I want to see someone take that, and then when she reaches in and gets zapped, I want to see like a, a light up nose on Bumblebee, just like the Operation game, because she got <laughs> she touched, she touched the edge there. <laughs> right. Yep. I, yeah, I think they yeah. definitely used probably earlier when we were talking about like if they use like uh, practical effects as well. Mm. Like him laying down was probably a practical effect as well, because she had to actually be like touching stuff when she like yeah. removes the front fender on his chest piece and everything. Mm-hmm. So that was probably a good example of that. Plus, you know, she tells him, you know, hold still, you know, a human person is still going to twitch around when you're, you know, 
plugging away at their chest, but robot, he won't move. Yeah, mm-hmm. I uh, I loved the scene, um, and it really helped kind of like solidify the relationship and the love between these two characters. Um, I did love it when they touched. I love it when she'd grab his hand, he'd grab her face, stuff like that. Touch, you know. Yeah. I mm-hmm. love that stuff. It, but uh, the scene where she elbows John Cena, he's restraining her, and she elbows him, and then he says enough, and he throws her to the ground. And this is when they've got the 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 like they they've got Bumblebee and they're, and they're reeling him in, and he just stands up, digs in, stands up, and then cuts those wires with the blade, oh. and his eyes go from blue to red, and he, I mean, th- this scene just it, it, no, oh, it was just incredible. I loved seeing <laughs> Bumblebee just kind of like lose his shit here, and and just I mean. He could have killed somebody. Like, that's how angry Mm -hmm. he was in that moment. And he just smacks John Cena like 20 feet. It was insane. Well, it's a very. It's a very uh, um, 1980s moment, too, because it's like Hulk Hogan when he's getting down and everything else. And so Feel very appropriate. Yeah. So he's here. He's feeling it and he's getting up. So very appropriate mm. that he smacks Cena, who is a wrestler. So, yeah, I was just uh, going to say it's like if it had been anybody else that he smacked like that. I'm like, I don't believe that person's still alive. But it's John Cena. So I'm like, I, I believe that one. I, I just, yeah, it almost felt like he kind of went into like because during this process, like before and after we're seeing like the memory restoration and we're seeing the progress bar there so it almost felt like he kind of went into like a default uh, uh transformers lore callback protoform uh programming mode because like he, the eyes go red and like he looks you know twice in that scene he looks at uh charlie and like doesn't seem to recognize her at first yeah. or know who she is he almost makes a move at her at one point until everybody else starts mm-hmm. shooting i just like to so think it's that like it was blind rage yeah i just yeah that's what i want to think i i don't want to think like it i just want to think like his love for her was so strong that like that's all he saw was like i'm gonna protect her yeah, yeah. You know? well, it felt like it definitely triggered something, and then like she, you know, she's yelling at him, "Please stop!" And eventually, is able to bring him back. Yeah, we we saw at least two scenes that I can think of where, because he doesn't have his memory, he's really functioning on instincts, and like for lack of a better word, it's almost like his factory settings have been restored. Like it's kind yeah. of, he's in like that yeah. mode. So like, that's what I meant by protoform. Yeah. Uh, that, and, and that's what I figured you meant. And it's, so it's like, we have scenes where like stuff is happening around him and like his battle shield will come over his face and he doesn't expect that to happen. Like he even touches his face. Like, what is this? Like what is happening right now? And so it's like things would happen and it's like his, his, his like his instinct would just kick in. And in that scene, Brian, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's completely instinctual. This is a, a person who has helped him and protected him and, and made him better and helped him find a voice to speak. And now, you know, he's watching this other guy just like really use excessive force. I mean, John Cena is like this hulking guy and he shoves this like tiny girl to to the floor and to the point that she even slides on her face Mm -hmm. and i mean that's excessive and so yeah but bumblebee like his instincts just kick in that that blast shield comes down the eyes go red and he's just in attack mode and he's just like kill them all and he he could have killed them if if he wanted to if if he hadn't 
I think if she hadn't stopped him, he absolutely would have. Yeah, yeah I think absolutely. You needed that. You did. We needed that scene, though. We really needed it. I, yeah, it added a lot. One thing with uh, Bumblebee, I wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on because we. It's. I don't think we. Well, we haven't touched on it at all. Is we finally got to hear a live action Bumblebee talking. Yeah. What did you guys think of his voice? I liked it. It was it was young and youthful sounding. You know, it's not Dan Gilvison who did the G1 voice, but it sounded, you know, close enough to that where it's like, yep, that sounds like Bumblebee, how he should sound, a very youthful, joyful, and, you know, full of hope and optimism and not so much, you know, grizzled and gritty like some other characters should sound. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought Dylan O'Brien did a pretty good job with the limited time that we got to hear him. I thought he did pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I liked it so. I liked the voice so much. I I totally agree with everything you were saying there, as far as a young sounding, hopeful sounding, and everything else. This optimist, because that's who Bumblebee has always been for us. He's he's mm-hmm. the he's the hope of the Autobots. Um, so I loved hearing his voice. I loved it so much that even though I knew for story purposes it needed to happen, uh, and it worked really well with not being able to hear him, I actually missed hearing his voice once it went away. So. Yeah, I was surprised to even hear it at the beginning because I wasn't expecting it. I assumed he was just going to be bleep blopping, you know, like yeah. we are used to him in these movies. So to hear him at the beginning talking, I was like, holy shit, he's talking. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's going to be gone soon. That's yeah. unfortunate. And yeah, like even just the fact that he gets to very briefly, you know, talk to like Cena and then when they kind of corner him at the mine, he's like, you know, I don't want to hurt anybody. And Cena's like, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. Everybody yeah. hold your fire. Yeah. And then, yeah, unfortunately, you know, not Starscream shows up and ruins everything. <laughs> not Starscream. Yeah. No, so, I, I, I agree. I, I, who was it in the movie that called him? I think, I don't know if it was Optimus or one of the other Transformers, one of the Septicons called Bumblebee like my young soldier or young friend. I, I, I think that it was, was Optimus. It was, right. Okay. So, yeah. like, he, he established for those who didn't know that Bumblebee is supposed to be young, that he is supposed to be a younger character. And so you don't expect, excuse me, like a, a, an older grizzled, you know, let's get out there and fight. Like you don't expect that. So you expect that younger voice and we got that. And yeah, like, like you were saying, Dan, I, when he spoke, I was like, Oh, we got his voice, but we're not going to have it for very long. Cause he's going to, I'm sure he's going to lose it early on in in this movie. But why did Bumblebee get such a like generic name and everybody else had cool names? He was B-127 and everybody else was like Cliff Jumper, Optimus Prime, Wheeljack, you know, mm-hmm. but probably because so he's young. I, uh, I, maybe he hasn't earned it yet. Maybe he hasn't yeah. earned the name yet. Well, I was going to say one. I tried looking up that uh, because I was curious also. Yeah. And one uh, one person made a comment and I looked into it and it's not true. Someone said that they believe that that's what he was originally named in a, a IDW comic, which was called Hearts of uh, Hearts of Steel. Um, I looked up that comic and he's not named that. So I don't know where the person thought that. But where someone else mentioned was the Diaclone toy line yeah. that and I have not been able to confirm this or not, but uh, that that was Bumble the Bumblebee toys designation in that toy line was B-127. Oh. It is. It is. It is. Okay. okay. Yeah. Oh, that and, makes sense. That's cool. 
And then it wasn't from, it wasn't the figure name, but it was like the you know uh, uh, item, the mold or, name or, or whatever. Yeah, okay. yeah. And then uh, as far as uh, story wise, where the that designation type of designation comes from is that there is a caste system in the Cybertronians, and even Megatron uh, was of a lower caste, and he was known as D sixteen. Yeah. Uh, until he broke free and he named himself Megatron. So. It's very likely that Bumblebee, when he when he started off on Cybertron, that he was just a lower cast, so mm. he only had the designation of B one twenty seven. Ah, that's yeah. Cool. There's there's been several iterations that have kind of explored on that since the Bayformers movies. Uh, Transformers Prime is a perfect example of it, where he was in that throughout that show, he was a scout class, and he was working his way to try to get up to warrior class. And so there's different, you know, specializations that they are listed that is very much in this version, a cast system. Um, and yeah, the Megatron thing, he used to be uh, Energon Miner back in the day before everything went south and he kind of, you know, got a little mad. Yeah. I uh, loved uh, the whole. I, I, I enjoyed John Cena in this movie. I'm glad that he was the one of the, the, the first character to basically say, like, why are we trusting these guys? Their name yes. is actually Decepticons. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Every Transformer fan has said that at some point yeah. in yeah. their history, right? Like, they're fucking called Decepticons. Like, why would you call yourself that? Their, their name, their deceitful is in their name. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, it's very much a hmm, little on the nose, don't you think? Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, I was I was wondering what you guys thought of John Cena overall in in this movie. If you liked his his portrayal of this character, what you thought of him in this movie? I liked him. I thought that, like I said earlier, I thought that his, you know, he was playful in the beginning. You know, just fucking around with his buddy, be like, ah, oh, that's a malfunction. That one's on me. I don't know what's going on with this thing. <laughs> Somebody's gonna get this, some. This is dangerous. Somebody could get hurt by this. And yeah. then, but yeah, after the events that happened with Bumblebee and Ramjet, or sorry, not Starscream, um, really kind of, you know, that hardens him to the point where he's super, you know, xenophobic and, you know, understandably so, given the circumstance. Yeah. And that, you know, so he's a human antagonist that makes sense and you understand where he's coming from. And by the end, of course, you know, Bumblebee saves him and he turns around and is like, all right, you know, there's some good ones, there's some bad ones, and yeah, I really liked him, because I mean, I'm I'm a wrestling guy, like Jake is, so I watch all the, you know, uh, pay-per-views and everything, so I, you know, still see him in there from time to time still, and I've always been a fan of him. I've always respected his work, and I think he's fun in this one, too. Let me throw this out there. We know that they've been talking about having a um, Hasbro universe as far as these movies are concerned we know we're getting a uh, snake eyes spinoff here my question to you guys is and ryan i really want to hear from you since you know you have a podcast that covers gi joe mm -hmm. is now that you've got john cena's character of agent burns who's now kind of like sees that there's Autobots and there's Decepticons, but he still works for Sector 7. Do you think we could see him by possibly the next film leaving Sector 7? And do you think that maybe his character will be set up as a G.I. Joe character? 
I personally would love something like that. And that's the direction I always wanted IDW to go in when they were talking about bringing all these properties together and doing the crossovers. And what we kind of saw in the comic book world was there was a story called Revolution where it's not so much that G.I. Joe was formed to combat the Cybertronian threat, but uh, G.I. Joe already existed, and then the Cybertronian threat happened on Earth. Mm. So G.I. Joe was the special forces that could probably be the best ones to handle it. I would love it if in the movie universe, the whole fact that the Cybertronians are coming to Earth or are now on Earth is the reason why G.I. Joe is now formed. Mm. Uh like I, I think that would be fantastic if you wanted to go that route where it is going to be a Hasbro universe. Um, don't go too crazy with it, but but yeah, I would love to see that this is the catalyst for why GI Joe then is created. So I kind of love that idea. Yeah. That GI Joe is a direct uh, response to the Transformers. I really like that idea a whole lot because we just haven't gotten good GI Joe movies no. like ever at no. all. From that. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I, I that's another cartoon I grew up watching along with the Transformers. I loved GI Joe. Uh, I and if they're going to do this Hasbro universe, I oh man, yeah, yeah, it's good. You could kind of have it where they, like you're saying, they are kind of formed as a response to now knowing about the Cybertronian threat, kind of like how in the MCU, S.H.I.E.L.D. is formed. Yeah. In a kind of similar vein where they're, you know, one part, uh, you know, trying to keep the secret uh, from getting out to the public, but also as, uh, uh, you know, military response to potential future threats. Can yeah. I just yeah. get Terry Crews' roadblock and call it a day? Oh my that. god, yes. I would so love that. Because yeah. and then then all those cheesy lines that Roblox used to say in the cartoon would make total sense coming out of Terry Cruz. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh At some god. point just throw in the meme of who wants a body massage. Right. <laughs> body massage. They oh actually god. did that in one of the comics too, uh, where it was uh G.I. Joe and Danger Girl crossover. There is actually a line <laughs> in there that they have Roadblock saying, Who wants a body massage? And I love the fact that they inserted that in there. So that is awesome. Nice. But yeah, I mean the whole uh, to your point, Brian, like the whole reason I created the podcast that I do now is because growing up I loved all these properties and when I was a kid and I played with all these toys I created my own stories as to how they all interacted I didn't segregate I didn't play just Star Wars and then I played just G.I. Joe and then I just played He-Man I had whole stories of like how this all happened I had the G.I. Joes creating the Transformers as an answer to Cobra and then Cobra created their own version and then He-Man was an ancient civilization that came up from the ground Castle Grayskull came. like I had this whole story as a kid of where all these things came from and how they could all work together and play play against each other and everything else so I think you stole or I guess I must have because you're a little bit older I think I you I stole your uh, kid play pattern as well <laughs> <laughs> let's just put Ryan in charge of the Hasbro universe. I mean, he's kind of got the whole, like, it's all worked out here. Just, can you, can we please also include My Little Pony at some point? Oh, like, like, could, my little pony, could, could, could they somehow become heroes? Because They've I mean, crossed kinda, over, like, they crossed over a couple of years ago with Transformers in the IDW nice. comics, so that's definitely already happened. Yeah, but we yeah, get Jim in there, Jim, you know, Jim works totally into the G.I. Joe and Transformers. We've already have uh, Hector Ramirez, who was a, a uh, news reporter that has appeared in Transformers yeah. 
Transformers yes. has appeared in G.I. Joe and has appeared in yes. Gem and the Hologram. So. I, so that's absolutely true. Gem, actually, I am a connoisseur of Gem and the Holograms. Gem and the Holograms would fit really well into this universe. She could easily cross over with G.I. Joe and the Transformers. And absolutely. we've also never gotten a very good Gem movie. The one oh, no. Shit. No, yeah, yeah you can definitely do that because, like, you'd have like her sound engineer is Blaster. There you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. Well, there and synergy, synergy can be a byproduct of Cybertronian technology. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about it, right? Synergy is a. I know this is Transformers. I'm sorry, everybody, but like when if you think about Synergy, she is an intelligent. She's artificial intelligence, yeah. right? And yeah. yeah, like she could be used for anything, but you know, she's used for Glamrock. Okay, cool. So like, why not just put her Glamrock powers to doing other stuff too? Like she could project all kinds of, th- I don't know, guys, we need to talk off air and like get this universe locked down <laughs> and start approaching studios. Yeah, I, I'm just saying. Synergy could be the Jubilee of the Transformers universe. She could. She could kick this whole damn thing off. I'm just saying we could make billions of dollars, you guys. So when we get our Snake Eyes movie, this... <laughs> hold on, hold on. When we get our Snake Eyes movie, are the first five minutes, are we going to have, like, what we got here? Are we going to have, like, Joe's doing Joe stuff before we get, like, Snake Eyes going doing his solo thing? I mean, th- wouldn't that be kind of incredible? I I, you know, so here, here's how you do it, Brian. You do the Snake Eyes movie where he deals with the Arashikagi, he deals with uh, Storm Shadow and everything else. Make it all, make it its own entity. But then at the end of the movie, you have Cena showing up, recruiting him to be part of GI Joe. Oh, so there we, you go. We got he's our they, Nick, he's Fury. The Nick Fury of it. Oh, yes. yeah. Oh. But but do you have Snake Eyes talking in the movie, or do no. you always no. have him silent from from go? Always silent. Always silent. Do you, do you give an explanation? Do you go into that? I'm totally fine with explaining. Backstory? Yeah, I'm totally fine with explaining it because it, it there's a, a past history, but I would never have him talk. There has never been a, a Snake Eyes that has spoken. Okay. There has been a Snake Eyes that's like typed words and written notes and stuff like that. And I'm fine if you want to use that, but there should never, ever be a voice for snake guys. You will piss off every fan out there. Absolutely. <laughs> like, I'm not a huge GI Joe guy, but absolutely. You do not have him talk. The first GI Joe movie, when they kind of showed that like flashback of him and storm shadow as kids in Japan, like, you know, do that, but that's fine. Better. Yeah. Do yeah. that but better <laughs> at some point in the movie to give like motivation. It's like, why these two are forever enemies and everything. But yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, if he's typing something out, if it's still set in the 80s, have him like type something out on a speaking spell. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Speaking> spell. <laughs> I love that. Now, uh, let's move on. I, I, so we all love this movie. I, as far as future films are concerned, they did talk to Travis Knight at, uh, it was Screen Rant, talked to him at the Bumblebee Press Junket. And they asked him if it's possible to make a live-action Transformers movie. He said, uh, and set on Cybertron. And he said, well, actually, it would be wholly animated because the beginning of the movie is completely animated. So, you know, it has live-action lighting and textures and everything else. So it has that feeling. But, yeah, I would love to see that movie. I got to tell you, that was one of the biggest thrills for me in this process, was bringing Cybertron to life and seeing the fall of Cybertron. Just a glimpse of it, because that's where the animated series began. And we wanted to begin this film in the same manner to pay tribute to that. And it was so much fun. I tried to stuff as much as 
I possibly could into those opening moments just because that's the movie I've always wanted to see. I would love to see a movie like that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, it's not been greenlit. This is all just kind of like, you know, hopes, like hope. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully we will get that movie. I really would love to see it. And it, man, oh, my gosh, IMAX 3D on Cybertron. I'm there. Yeah, no, for sure. I would I would absolutely adore. I mean, there was three moments in this movie that uh, we talked about earlier where, you know, you know, you needed to change your pants. Mm-hmm. The whole Cybertron battle. Anytime I've seen that was one of those moments. The another moment uh, uh, was the touch uh, when that came on. And then the last moment for me was seeing Optimus Prime in the actual rig. Mm-hmm. Version, yeah, true. Oh, weight. oh my god, yeah. and it how had amazing the was that? On the side of the trailer, <laughs> oh, and yes, yeah, and everything. Oh my god, it was yeah. so nice seeing him yeah. as that truck again, yeah. But yeah, just I would absolutely adore, um, to see a whole Cybertronian uh movie with all animated. Um, I think a lot of the stuff we're seeing nowadays with like Into the Spider Verse and all that type of stuff shows that you can do a movie fully animated with all the CG and you will get audience. And if you do it well, audiences will, will come to it and you will, uh, you'll get the payback that you're looking for. Can I throw this out there and let me know what you think and it will never happen, but I want to know what you guys think. The 1986 animated movie, in my opinion, it's like my favorite animated movie of all time. Here, but here. what if they just took all of that audio, every piece of audio of that and then just did what they did here with the first five minutes and did the whole movie like that with the same audio. I'd love it. I don't think I'd be able to live through it. I think I would die of joy. <laughs> I don't think dead. I'd be able to handle it. I like Rebecca, you had said at the beginning, you know, that you went and saw the 86 movie in theaters back in, I think that was September. Yeah. You know, I saw it too. Brian, you went and saw it too, right? Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that movie probably a hundred times if not more and like i still every time death of optus prime gets Ugh. every goddamn time and if i saw it looking like this did at the first five minutes of this movie i i i would not be able to handle it i i would not be able to Dude, i would there- just collapse and lose my <laughs> shit entirely and be a sniveling mess there's two moments in my childhood that uh, taught me about death. And uh, one was from uh, Never Ending Story when Artax the horse yeah. drowned in like one of the saddest moments in movie history. I don't it's care. Still, it's still too soon to yeah. talk about that. Yes. Yeah. It's still too soon. <laughs> and, and then and then the other one was Optimus Prime dying. Yeah. And yep. uh, I cannot explain the joy that I had when I heard that there was going to be a episode coming on the cartoon called the return of Optimus prime and to bring him back. I mean, they tried to bring him back a couple times, but when they actually brought him back and had the touch song going with it and mm-hmm. everything else, I wept like tears as a kid. Like yeah. Optimus is finally back. <laughs> yeah. It's so yeah. fucked up. Cause yeah, he dies in the movie like that 20 minutes in and then, like, early in the next season, in season three, uh, I think it's called Dark Awakening, they bring him back as, like, a zombie controlled by the Quintessons. Yeah. Kill him again! Yes! And yes. then at the end of season, the season three ends with a two-parter of the return of Optimus Prime, and, like, the whole first, like, the it ends, part one ends with him finally being brought back, and you're just like, ah. like, I'm even talking about it, I'm like... 
Hold it yeah. together, buddy. <laughs> Bumblebee. I wanna, oh, go ahead. What I want to know too, with from this movie too, mm-hmm. is I would love to know how did Optimus get out of the the situation he was in? Yeah, he was he surrounded. Super surrounded. How like he fought everybody apparently to get oh, out. God, yeah, yeah. Like that overhead shot where they were all circling in on him. Mm-hmm. Oh like yeah, twenty v one. Yes. But I guess that's the power of a prime. Exactly. I was going to say, he got out of it because he's Optimus Prime. That's why he got how he got out of it. <laughs> yep. Duh. Like, you know, but I, but yeah, I want to see mean, it. I just want to see it. No, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. know it's going to be epically awesome. <laughs> I, I, yeah. hope, I hope that if we get another movie that um, – because I, I would like to see that scene too, Ryan. Like I would like to see how he got out of it, how he came to Earth, he finds Bumblebee, and then they are going to have – and then we – of course, at the end of this movie, we saw other – you know, escape pods arriving. And so, yeah, it's, I mean, it's all set up for another movie for us to see how Optimus got out of that. And now what adventures they're going to have on earth. And if they're going to bring in Megatron and give Starscream a big role, like, I don't know. That just seems like the next natural progression to me. Yeah. Yeah, If they don't, if they don't get greenlit for the full Cybertron movie, which by the way, uh, if you guys haven't played it, and if you are gamers, I would definitely recommend checking out the uh, from High Moon Studios, the War for Cybertron and Fall yes. of Cybertron 2 games. Those games are fantastic. They are amazing. It's Peter Cullen doing the voice of Optimus. You know, not everybody came back, but like you got really good uh, stand-ins voice-wise. Yeah. Everybody looks and feels and acts like how they should. And, you know, so it, it really chronicles from those two games of like, the height of the war and then the end of the war because the second game ends with like the, them leaving on the arc. And if so. you don't have the time to play the games or can't track them down, there's been quite a few people and there's actually like I think two really good ones where they've taken the video and just all the cutscenes. They took the cutscenes and they put some of the video game in there just enough to let so you know what's Transition going on between them. Yeah. yeah, and it's like a good two-hour movie. Oh, and it's that's just awesome. awesome. It really is. So if we get that Cybertron movie, my suggestion to them would be use that, use the the second game as a template and just like basically follow that. Do you end that Cybertronian movie, that first Cybertron movie, do you end it with a Unicron tease? No, I think you save that for later down the line. Hopner, I don't know how much time I have. (laughs) (laughs) so here's what i would like to see for the cybertron movie i would like to see the rise of megatron i'd like to see him in the Mm. cast system uh idw did an awesome job of uh, megatron the origins comic comic was fantastic. so good it's so good yeah if they followed something like that and then led and then that led up to the battle that we saw in this movie it'd be awesome and then yes we'll look at Unicron later. Um, tease him like I'm saying. One. I'm saying tease him like Thanos, like in the Avengers sure. film. You know, yeah, I, could, I could go with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So just have it be like a sister planet that's like far off somewhere else from Cybertron. You're like, oh, is this maybe Cybertron? And then you just see like the silhouette or something mm. you know, like cross over the planet where it gets darkened, and you're just like, oh shit! And you just see two big <laughs> horns come down, and impale yes. themselves on the planet. You're like, credit. You know, cut to yeah. black. Like, Oh, that's bad. I just want to hear, Obulus, look, it's Unicron. And then the the movie ends. 
Right. I always appreciated that that planet, like for so many science fiction back like the 70s and 80s. Everybody's British for some reason. Yeah. Everybody is British in 1980s um, sci-fi. It's just the way it was. Right. Uh, This movie is performing decently at the box office. It just happened to come out at the same time as Mary Poppins and Aquaman. So as of uh, today, it had grossed 21 million in the United States and Canada and 31.1 million in other territories, a total of 52.1 million. Uh, It made 8.5 million on its first day. And that uh, included the 2.15 million from the Thursday night previews that was on December 8th. Uh, no, no, not the, the, what did it make on Saturday? That was, excuse me, that made 500,000. So that night, and that was 325 theaters on that. So it's doing okay. I'm glad that they didn't give it like the full blown budget of like a Bayformers one. So hopefully right. this will like not just break even. Hopefully this will out, really outperform and hopefully good word, like a strong, uh, you know, word of mouth is going to get yeah. people in the theaters. I've seen it three times. I'll probably go see it again. I want to support this movie with my dollar. So I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. When I when after seeing the advanced screening two weeks ago, like I started telling everybody, I'm like, dude, it's good. No yeah. qualifiers, no asterisks, no, right. you know, but it's flat out, period, good. Go see it. And, you know, all my friends, you know, they know I'm the Transformers guy. So they're like, really? You, you know, because I've seen all of them. They're like, really? This is good? I'm like, it's the only good one. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and I'm hoping what will happen, too, is like, because uh, we've seen this happen with other movies, where if it if it just breaks even or does a little bit better than breaks even at the box office, but then the video release finally has that word of mouth catch up and people go nuts that way that will then see the sequel because we've seen that happen with movies where it didn't do great in the theater but then when it came out on video it sold like crazy because word of mouth finally got around saying yeah this is actually worth seeing so yeah yeah. i just don't want to see it turn into like pacific rim where we're waiting five years for the sequel right yeah and then the sequel isn't that great (laughs) and do you guys think that travis knight would return i think that's a big i hope yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I really do. Well, he sounds like he's ready to go back to Leica right now. And as you guys know, like Leica studio projects take a long time to develop. So, yeah, that's true. I mean, as long as they're even if he's not able to come back for the next one, as long as they're able to, you know, hand the reins over to somebody who, you know, somebody who I would hope Travis Knight would personally vet and be like, all right, I trust him. Mm-hmm. You know, don't toss yeah. it back to Michael Bay or somebody yeah. of, or some schlock for hire. You know, we don't need a Mick G Terminator salvation oh, situation God. here oh, either. Right. Oh, God. Uh, well, we, I, I want to get Christina Hodson back on the script, too. Oh, yes. 100%. Yeah. It, it, like, I think it's really I think it says a lot that after she wrote this and she's also written the bird of the um, the birds of prey script, mm-hmm. Warner Brothers right away gave her the Batgirl uh, idea or not the idea. I'm sorry. It gave her the Batgirl project to then write. I think that says a lot for the confidence that the studios are having in this in this woman as a writer. And I yeah. absolutely 100% co-sign having her come back and yeah. write yep. whatever comes next. I really hope Travis Knight would come back for another movie, but I'm with you, Dan. Like I, if, if he can't come back, I would love for him to vet somebody and say, you know what? I can't do it or I don't want to do it, but you know what? 
this guy here, you know, he gets it, you know, he'll, he'll do it. And I, I, I mean, because this is like, how long have we waited for a really good Transformers movie? We waited a long time and we finally got one. And I just don't want to see them mess it up. I, I want to see them. I want them just to be so careful, like with a baby bird and just like the next one, <laughs> be like so careful with it and give us another really good movie with has that has the same amount of heart as this yeah. one does. And to be fair, we're, we're the baby birds that had to be nursed back to health from the previous five movies. That's what I that guess, is. We're, I, I we're the ones that have been hurt and beat okay. up and need to be rehabilitated. In, in my analogy, yes, we also could be the baby birds that need help and care. Well, and I will tell you too, after seeing this movie, I am very excited about Birds of Prey and Batgirl and mm, stuff because yeah. I'm like, oh, this should be really good stories. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah if, if, if for the Birds of Prey movie, like ridiculously long title aside, if it's got the amount of heart and the amount of just feeling in it that this movie does, and obviously it's a very different property, you know, so sure. I'm not expecting like, you know, I'm not expecting Bumblebee feels out of it. But like if if she's can if we get that same amount of heart in that movie, I'm excited. I'm yeah. way excited than I was before to see this movie. And why can't and Batgirl? Why, yeah. Give me a Batgirl script too from well, her. It, why, it comes down to chemistry really. And and if she's able to write chemistry like this for Bumblebee, then I'm eager to see the chemistry yes. that she's able to write for birds of prey. Cause it is different. It's going to be a different type of chemistry, but if she can write for characters sure. like this, then I, I trust that she, she's going to be able to write characters in a different format, but that still will have really, great chemistry with each other why can't we get heart in a harley quinn film i mean that's the thing because when you watch deadpool for as like rude and crude and r-rated as it was at its core it was also a love story mm-hmm. yeah yeah so yeah. I, I think this is the right I think this is the right person to write that script. I think Absolutely. this is the right person to infuse heart into a Harley Quinn movie. What the the Harley Quinn that we got in Suicide Squad is a very certain type. It's a very certain Harley Quinn that we got. Now we're going to be adding all these other characters to this Birds of Prey movie. I I want to see how she writes for Harley Quinn to be talking to like Black Canary and, and Huntress yeah. and all these other, I want to see how she writes that and how, of course, the director will have to work with that too. But like, I want to see the heart that she could inject into that movie and really make me care about Harley Quinn in a way that I didn't care about her in Suicide Squad. So I, I and then again, like Batgirl, I love Batgirl. One of my favorite DC characters is Batgirl. And I just to get a, her writing a movie of Barbara Gordon. Oh, yeah. my gosh. What, the thing she could do with like Barbara and her dad's relationship. And if yeah. if we get Batman in it or Robin or whatever, I want to see what she gives Barbara Gordon to do. I am excited to see these projects now, like just from this script, this movie, I'm excited for two other completely different movies and that says a lot about the writer rebecca wouldn't it be fucked up if she's a one-trick pony in every movie (laughs) hold on hold on hold on hold on hold on let me finish hold on let me finish your mouth brian no let me just (laughs) thank you you guys are killing me right now let me finish if in every movie that she writes all the characters lose their voice the main character loses their voice (laughs) 
So you've got like Harley Quinn can't talk in the next one. And then Batgirl, she can't talk for one reason or another. And like, she's just like, you know, people really like that Bumblebee movie. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that all her characters transform into, into cars, which would be get very messy with the human body trying to become a car. But yeah, yeah. I got, I mean, I, I mean, I, Certainly hope. No, not, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I, Christina, I know, I know. She's <laughs> she's she's proved herself here with me that she can really give us a great story. So I'm definitely looking forward to those upcoming DC projects. I think that's what they need. I feel like yeah, Christina Hudson and James Gunn coming in there can do DC a lot of good. So. There's a lot of new blood being injected into DC all of a sudden, and even the the woman who's directing the Birds of Prey movie, I'm I'm blanking on her name, um, but she's brand new for 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 Warner Brothers too, I think. So it's like they've got all of these new and interesting voices, and not new because James Gunn's been around a long time, but new for Warner Brothers. But they've got these newer voices coming in to bring new things to the table. And it makes me excited for these movies of characters that I love. And Her name, yeah. is, uh, Kat, her name is Kathy Yan. Thank right. you. I was blanking on her name. Yeah, yeah. like – I'm just excited for what these new voices are going to show me and tell yeah. me and these new stories. I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited for that. So well, God uh, knows it can't be worse than what we've got. Oh, in, you know, no, do not, do not last you. Right now, someone at Warner Brothers is going, hold my beer. Do not take <laughs> <say> that. <laughs> right. That's, that's not the guy you want on the wheel in any situation. Don't give him a power wheel to drive even. Just let him sit in the back and shut up and keep drinking like an idiot. <laughs> but uh, getting back to Bumblebee real quick um, about the box office stuff that you were talking about, Brian. Um, you know, I, I figured given what was coming out against on the same weekend, it wasn't going to win the box office uh, on the opening weekend. But my hope is and I, don't, I, you know, obviously haven't listened to the Aquaman episode you guys recorded yesterday yet. Um, but I saw it uh, Saturday morning at like 10 a.m. Uh, I mean, it's I guess it's the third best by default. Of the right. DC uh, movies, but um, my hope is that you know uh, Aquaman's going to dominate this week and probably next week. But my hope is box office wise, Bumblebee is going to have legs and it's going to yeah. stay. In th- it's going to keep making a good amount of money for a while, so it'll make a good profit over time. And Aquaman will kind of have like that big first two weeks and then a high drop off rate. So I'm hoping that Bumblebee is going to win the long game in that box office wise, so that. It makes enough money so that we, you know, hopefully maybe get that Cybertron sequel greenlit. Yeah. Uh, a couple last things, last notes I had from uh, from written down here. One was I really liked the fact that they didn't go overboard with the romance connection there. Uh, oh, I love. Yeah. I love the end. Yeah, I love the ending where she's he goes to reach her hand and she's like, we're not there yet. Yeah, I love that they didn't go with the stereotypical. OK, now they're going to kiss. And it's uh, and I love that he was when she kissed him on the cheek, he goes still counts like all of that was just done so well. It worked for the chemistry. It worked for this movie. Um, and then the other thing that I loved because I'm such a 1980s fan is that there was a mini super short uh, getting ready to go into battle montage of her like zipping stuff up and putting stuff in her pockets and everything else. And then she goes out the window. Yeah. Uh, 
Like I just loved that because that's so quintessential '80s of of like you have to have that pre- preparation montage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only thing it was missing was tying a headband on her head. Yes. That's the only thing that was missing from that montage would have been straight out of like Bloodsport or something. That's like so that. Would have been fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I loved that too. And also, yeah, because we really didn't talk about uh, Memo played by uh, Jorge uh, Lendenborg Jr. Here, I liked him. I thought he was actually really good. Like you said, I love the fact that he. He's not just like the dumb sidekick like we've seen in some of the plenty of movies, including other Transformers movies. Uh, and I like the fact that they play it as not just a love interest that, you know, there's no neither of them are a trophy that the other one wins at the end. And it's very much, a hey, you know, this is still fresh and new. And yeah, we you know, we have a bond now because we just went through an insanely traumatic experience. <laughs> but yeah, we're not there yet. It reminded me uh, of Pacific Rim, how at the end, um, Charlie Hunnam and uh, uh, Rinko Kikuchi's characters, they don't kiss at the end. They just kind of hug and put their foreheads together of like, we're, you know, it's not about just, oh, it's love now. It's about a real bond of a shared experience. And I, again, appreciate that. Yeah, very much yeah, so. Absolutely, Ryan. I'm so glad you brought it up because I had I wanted to talk about it and I forgot. Uh, but yeah, I agree. I like that too. Like this was like I also like that he was so like geeky, nerdy, dorky, and he knew that he was, and he kept giving himself that little pep talk. Like you're not a dork, you're not a dork. <laughs> okay, yeah, you're a dork, but you know, be cool. But it's okay. It's, it's, it's okay. okay. Yeah. Um, I liked. Yeah, I also liked how you know she just gave him that little kiss on the cheek. I thought that was really sweet and appropriate. Yeah. And then at the end, yeah. I, I mean, even if he had held her hand, I, I would have been OK with that sure. ending because it wasn't like some crazy, you know, uh, superhero ending kiss thing because he hadn't. Uh, it's, I, I wouldn't have believed it. But when she tells him, no, no, we're not there yet. I just loved Charlie even more. Yes. I was yeah, like, yeah. yes, girl. Thank you. Set your boundaries. That's fine. You were, the, we're not there yet. You know, and then she kind of laughs a little bit. And I'm sure in her mind, she's thinking, we'll get there. And he probably is thinking, we'll get there. But I liked that she basically was just like, we're not ready for that yet. And I just, I don't know. I loved that. I thought that was great. She was a girl who set her boundaries and said, not yet. I, yeah, I thought yeah. that, was, that, that was perfect. It's having good Go ahead, Brian. I was going to say, having been the guy on that side, he did not go home thinking we'll get there. He went home going, crap, how did I screw that up? <laughs> okay, fair enough. I, I, I would you know, yeah. absolutely trust for your feeling on that one. <laughs> well, well, well played there. But I, I thought he was good. It was... I liked that, um, you know, when he first sees Bumblebee and Bumblebee does that funny, like, whoops, I transformed too late. Um, you know, he kind of goes with it pretty quickly. Just, I mean, you know, he goes along with it pretty quickly, which at first is a little jarring. But then when, you know, she's get, when after she does the 80s montage of getting ready for battle, and then they go over to his place and they go up into his room. Like, he's got all this space-based stuff up there. He's got, like, yeah. you know, a uh, uh, little model of the uh, Saturn V rocket. He's got a Battlestar Galactica Mark II Viper model sitting uh, in there as well. And so it kind of made sense to me. of like, ah, that's why I went along with, like, Alien Robot from Space, because he's a fan of, like, Space Age stuff. And yes. he's into that kind of, you know, he's that kind of geek. He's the guy who's probably running NASA right now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I loved his, like, he had, like, the 1970s O.J. Simpson fro. 
Yep. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah that yeah. fro was epic. It was I loved awesome. his fro. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I didn't like about him, I just could have went with a different name. I was like, because I, was, I wasn't sure what the hell his name was for a couple, the first couple times. Yeah. It was said. I was like, did she say Nemo or what, what the hell was his name? <laughs> I hope yeah. the, I hope the sequel is called Bumblebee Finding Memo. <laughs> but no everything about the character i really yeah. loved him i thought he was he was perfect he's he's definitely they like say he he was a character i could identify with because i was that awkward boy at that age that just didn't know if i was doing stuff the right way to approach somebody or anything like that so i totally could identify with the character and i was the one that had the Indiana Jones raised the Lost Ark poster in my room, and you know, mm. so I could totally identify with him in that entire movie, and uh, so that I thought he was a great character. It's weird how you say that in past tense. I mean, you're a guy who has a podcast <laughs> called Star Joes with Star Wars and GI Joes on it, and this is coming from the guy who has a new podcast talking about giant monsters. So you know, yeah, I think we're saw, still there. Yeah, if you saw the room that I'm in right now, you would definitely know because this is where I do all my recording. Uh, yeah, I have never left that kid behind, and in fact, if anything, he's grown bigger. Yeah, yeah no, this my whole entire apartment is like that. The desk, like I'm, you know, here on my computer. Computer. On the top of my computer desk here, I have my masterpiece figures of Soundwave, Starscream, Megatron, Optimus Prime, Jazz, and Prowl, and there's also a Unicron here, too. This whole episode we've been recording, Ryan has been trying to outrun a boulder, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, to the left of me right now, I have uh, the recent uh, made Metroplex, and then... Oh, God, uh, yeah. oh the uh, Generations Line one? Yeah, Generations uh, Line one. Finally Max. bigger than Fort Max. For Max, I have standing here, and I have Devastator assembled, the, the Generations one that they did. So Nice. Yeah, they're to my left right now where I'm sitting. So Amazing. There you go. Yeah, I want to thank everybody that uh, – yeah, Rotten Tomatoes score real quick, 94% fresh. I just want – guaranteed fresh. I wanted to throw that out there. This is the highest rated uh, Transformers movie by critics. Um, nice. Again, not hard to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I want to thank our guests. Rebecca, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. This was, this was a blast talking about Transformers. Daniel, I want to thank you for joining us. I know that you're doing a podcast for uh, the Leftover Army. You can tell people about that. Oh, right now? Okay, I guess no, I will. It, First of all, Tomorrow thank we'll have you. a separate podcast that I'll upload. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, right now. It won't take... All right, it, all right, I, all right. Sound, he's so passionate about his little project that he doesn't even oh, want right to take now. the time right now. Right. No, yes. it's fine. I Get, have to. No, you but can... must. If, all right, yeah, just okay. Go back to bed. That's fine. I'll, uh, <laughs> go ahead. No, but I mean, first of all, thank you very much for having me on this one. You know, I mean, I love this stuff and, you know, we're all huge fans here, so... I also want to say thank you to you, Rebecca, and you, Ryan, for coming on as well. It's been a great time talking with you guys. But so I guess I'll plug myself here if I must. Um, podcast is called uh, Leftover Army Monsters, giant podcast, all out of tack. Just called Leftover Army Monsters for short. Um, yeah, we, you know, talk every episode. We talk about uh, one movie from the uh, giant monster genre. Uh, Rebecca, you're going to be on in a couple episodes talking about Mothra with yes. us. I've been practicing the song from the movie, so you know. Nice. <laughs> <Get ready. laughs> All right, then. Then you know when at the beginning of the episode when I introduce you. That's what you have to do. You have to Sweet. do it right there, right you at the top. <laughs> cool. 
And I want to thank Ryan Drost of the Star Joe's podcast for joining us. Ryan, tell people about your podcast, where they can find you. Yeah, so the podcast is called Star Joe's, Star for Star Wars, Joe's for G.I. Joe. And we basically say that we cover everything from Star Wars to G.I. Joe and everything in between, which includes Transformers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, all your 80s properties. Uh, We've been doing it for nine years now Mm. and uh, absolutely love doing it. Also have uh, the... uh, but uh kind of stumbling along uh youtube channel uh i'm trying to get more and more videos out there uh for people where i do comic reviews but yeah we we focus on a lot of things and our latest two episodes are definitely fan favorite type episodes uh we did just recently uh we covered five episodes of the gi joe cartoon and we watched those with adult eyes so you can imagine how fun and hilarious that is uh, and then our latest episode, we went to the Wish Book catalog. I love those. Uh, I, r- stop right there. Ryan, yeah. I love, thank God, I'm going to listen to that. I love it when you guys do the Wish Book episodes. Yeah, yeah. So we go to we went to the Wish Book catalog from 1983 and 1984 and talked about all the toys that were in those catalogs back then. So yeah. um, I didn't find that. So there Online. is a website called wishbookweb.com mm-hmm. that has every catalog back to like 1930 oh, something. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, I had no God. idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know I'm listening to tomorrow morning. For a <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So, uh, and two of my hosts are actually uh, one hasn't been on very much recently. His name's Shannon Gallant. He was the artist on the GI Joe Real American Hero comic that's been coming out from IDW. He was the longest running artist on that title. And then Robert Atkins, who was known for doing a lot of GI Joe stuff and is a comic book artist as well. Um, and I met them both from doing the show and them reaching out to me and having them on the show multiple times. And then now they are close friends of mine, which is just one of the most amazing things in the world. So, um, yeah. yeah. And I will say my crowning achievement of doing the podcast for me personally was when I got to have Bill Ratner on the show. Uh, who was the voice of Flint on the G.I. Joe cartoon because Flint was my favorite character. Mm. Uh, I had him on the show and the eight-year-old in me was completely geeking out talking to him. So, um, But yeah, it's been a long-running show. We've loved it. Uh, and uh, yeah, the you know, I'm sure Brian can attest this. The friendships that you make from doing podcasts and everything else are like this byproduct you never expected to all of a sudden get from doing a show. Yeah. Um, but it's one of the greatest things that comes out of it. So uh, I'm appreciative to to Brian because I met him because he was a listener of my show. Yeah. And uh, and I've been thrilled to be able to come on here with all three of you and uh, get to know you guys and, and talk about stuff that I love. So. You know, uh, let me say this, like I, I listen to Star Joe's uh, and I love, I, I, you know, I, some of the most, one of the most hilarious episodes was, uh, um, I love Chuck and I, the, the old yeah. Chuck episode where is it like that bathhouse or what the, what the fuck is it? Oh, the Schwitz. Yeah, the Schwitz. Oh my God. That shit is fucking hilarious. Yeah. So to give a short version of it, my buddy Chuck, who I started the show with, and who should be on future episodes in 2019? Uh, he went to this bathhouse thing called the Schwitz, and he talks about his experience there and how much he loved it. And from my perspective, it sounds like the most disturbing thing I could ever be involved in. So there's a lot of back and forth of him mm-hmm. talking about how awesome it is and how disturbed I am by what he's telling me. Yeah. So that <laughs> is was this like an American bathhouse or like in yes. a Japanese bathhouse. No, this was like a, it was an American bathhouse. So, okay. I'm, I'm on your perspective. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right. <laughs> and then I also just, I want to thank, honestly, you brought up Chuck. I want to thank Chuck. There was a time when I first started this podcast that I was, you know, starting to get like we early feedback. We had some people love the show and then we had some people reach out and absolutely hate the show. I was ready to quit. I was ready to quit. And then out of nowhere, like, me and Chuck, we were messaging each other on that old uh, on, on that old board that we used to get on. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Chuck was like, "Yeah, I've been listening to the show and I'm really enjoying it." And it's like, I it's like that message that I needed that day. And then yeah. he he like you know I, I was basically like, "Hey, can I you know ask you a few questions?" And because you've been doing this for a while, and and. Um, you know, he was just kind of there for me at that moment where I was ready to hang up pop culture leftovers and just like quit this whole thing. And so like I owe a lot to Star Joe's and, and you because like, you know, Chuck kept me going when I was going to quit. He probably doesn't even remember this, but like I was getting ready to quit and Chuck kept me going. And I was like, that's what I needed. I needed that pep talk. And then also you when we first started this, like you have no idea like we were recording episodes. I didn't know if anybody was listening. And then like you plugged us on one of your episodes and like, it was, I was just like, Oh my God, he's talking about us. (laughs) And it was just like, just knowing that like the, you know, cause you're just talking out into the void and you don't know if anybody's, you know, you're casting that net and you don't know what you're, you know, what you're getting. And like, to hear uh, you, you guys who had been doing it for years at that at that point in time yeah, talk yeah. about us, I was just it, it just blew me away and and so I can't thank Star Joe's enough and and uh, I think our listeners definitely should uh, should subscribe and listen. I appreciate it. No, and I get the same way anytime I hear our show being mentioned on any other podcast, no matter how big or small it is. I absolutely love it, and I can't believe. Next January, January of 2020, will be 10 years of doing the show. Wow. So um, it just blows my mind uh, that we've been going that long. And part, mostly just because just I'm stubborn and I don't want to stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But no, I love it. It's and good. I love that, like I said, I love the fact that uh, we inspired other people to do shows and have helped other people do shows. And uh, it's it's one of the coolest things about podcasting is it's not – really all that competitive people that do podcasting typically want to help other people that do podcasting and it becomes this really cool community with each other. So absolutely. Very cool. I can definitely attest to that. Cause yeah, you know, if you helped Brian continue to do pop culture leftovers, that's what, you know, the first time I was on, you know, the, uh, uh, podcast with you, Brian. You know, we won't talk about the exact results of it, <laughs> but that's what you know pushed me to end up doing the first podcast that I was doing with a couple of my friends, and now the podcast that I'm doing now. So, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, Ryan, I got to give you thank you for that too, and I think Rebecca in the same way, very much too, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all. I mean, Brian, Dan, I. We all met up at C2E2 this year. Uh, Dan, this was the first year I had had a chance to like meet you and talk to you face to face. And um, yeah, we wouldn't be, f- I, I mean, I count you guys as some of my closest friends and we don't get to see each other more than like once a year really. Mm, yeah. So yep. yeah. But like, I count you guys as like my, some of my closest friends and you know, Brian uh, the, you, you've reached out to me about doing shows with you and, and each time I'm just like, Oh my gosh, really me? Really? Oh my <laughs> gosh. Like just feeling so like, 
I can't believe that you want to do a show with me and just feeling like, oh man, that's just, I don't know. Like it's, it's just a really great feeling to know that people who do have been doing it longer than you have think that you're good enough to be on a show with them. It just makes you feel special. So yeah. Well, absolutely. well Rebecca, I will, I will be, bring, I will be reaching out to you in 2018 because you and I are going to get together to do a, a gem and holograms <laughs> episode. You're my I best am. friend in the entire world. Yes, I, I, I anytime, my friend. You want to talk Gem and the Holograms? I am your gal. Absolutely. That sounds fantastic. So that, this is awesome. You know what? It, it, this has been a, a perfect Christmas episode. You know what I'm saying? Just yep. a perfect Christmas. I want to wish everybody. I want to wish you guys uh, a Merry Christmas, and I want to wish all of our listeners a Merry Christmas. And. Uh, we're, you know what? Me and Jake will probably pump out a fucking another episode next week for you. How about that? Like before the end of the year, I'm not, t- I'm not going to take the week off. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll probably pump out another episode. I'm not done. There you go. Stay strong. Yeah. So no, thank everybody. Thanks so much. Um, Bumblebee. Thank you. Absolute tupper. Yeah, Dan, I can't, I'm so happy to have you on this one. I was worried about your rating. I told Rebecca this <laughs> last <laughs> night. <laughs> I said, no, I know, I know Hefner. He's not going to toss this. He's going to love it. I just know it. And I, I did. I was <laughs> contemplating before we started up. I was contemplating like, you know, doing a fake out to be like, yeah, uh, no, I totally tossed this movie. It's total garbage. <laughs> I think, I think what I told this, I think these, I don't know if this was my exact words last night, Rebecca. I was like, I don't know what that motherfucker's going to do. You know what I mean? I believe that's more or less what you said. Yeah. <laughs> well, and traditionally on this podcast, I've always been so cynical and everybody else is like high taste. I'm like, yeah, it's a low taste it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I remember watching, I watched this and I said, I don't know. I think, I think Hepner's going to love it. Yeah. I really do. <laughs> I'm so yep. glad that you did. I'm, gosh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. But I, thanks a lot again, guys. And just like all good leftovers say in their doggy bags, thank you for your patronage and thanks for listening. We will see you next week. See ya. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Congratulations. I don't know how you did it. I couldn't do it. You people need a t-shirt saying, I just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap. Anyway, if you'd like to reach the Pop Culture Leftovers cast, you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at PC Leftovers or like their Facebook page. They'd love to hear from you. They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless. But I didn't say that. Already like 7 million podcasts Talking about pop culture and all that Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat But it's all been done before and we don't want to be a copycat We're the leftovers picking up the scraps Dropped by the cool kids it, it, It's a trap! Gonna toss it, gonna taste it Do we love it? Hey, let's face it Can't erase it, let's embrace it Tupperware party Subculture spill over like a vulture Carryover, counterculture pushovers Pop culture Leftovers And with the uncool kids What's to say's already been said Leftovers Pretty sure that the only talent Is the band that's singing this Pop culture leftovers Podcasts that are original and good have already been done before, so we should Separate the wheat from the shaft And we're the shaft, the crap, even though we're the shit Woo! We're the leftovers picking up the scraps Dropped by the cool kids it, it, It's a trap! 
good and toss it, good and taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it. Let's embrace it. Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carry over counterculture pushovers. Pop culture leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say has already been said. Leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture pushovers, pop culture, leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say has already been said, leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this, pop culture leftovers.